and welcome to Decomposing Worm, a worm analysis podcast. That's Clarence. He's the first-time reader and literary expert. And that was Matthias. He's read the story before. In this 12-episode series, we're using critical theory to explore the superhero web serial Worm from a broader perspective, covering Worm in six 300,000-ish word chunks. And today is part one of book four, Overview. So here we're going to close read through arcs 18 through 22, kind of commenting all the most, you know, the key points of the story and kind of reading into all of the like little bits, you know, kind of doing this plot based examination of the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't read arcs 18 through 22 yet, please do, because as usual, this is going to be a full spoilers discussion. Uh, So let's let's get into it. So we're going to start off with our overall feelings. Um, so, yes. Clarence, what did you feel about arcs uh, 18 through 22? I I really liked them. Um, mostly because I really like this part in all novels, is mm-hmm. this bit where it's like setting up the last bit, you know, mm-hmm. where it's kind of um, throughout everything, there's there's this sort of building tension, right? You know, it's like not quite, not quite yet of like the late stages of rising action, you know, we're like, right. we, we are at the point where we don't have all of the answers, you know, there's little specific pieces that are left out because we haven't quite come to the point where someone sits down and explains the whole thing yet, you know? Yes. Anyways, yeah, so I, it's, I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah, this is the section where some of the, the dominoes are starting to fall, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've been, um, they, this is the last part where they're getting set up and now the first ones are, are starting to tip over, right? With um, so And this is also the section of Rome with some of the most notable scenes or the the two scenes that I um you know have a lot of emotional impact with me are right the cafeteria scene in arc mm-hmm. 20 and then of course the Alexandria and Tag um double homicide <laughs> in yes. arc 22 ah so what an uh, arc. yeah those are a rather rather significant section that one uh and of course it also has some of the most um you know, violent and, and crazed action in the mm-hmm. echidna arcs. So, uh, really, really enjoyable, really interesting, and um, uh, yeah, I really, yeah. really enjoyed this. Just all this the part. fighting, all the fighting mm-hmm. is always so like dynamic and interesting, and not mm-hmm. like any other fighting that happened beforehand. Yeah, like you don't yeah, get lost in the mix of like, oh, here's another fight. It's like every time it's there's you know new pieces of of like ingenuity. I think. It's really, I like it a lot, the way that, yeah. it's, you know, it's developing and kind of the rhythm of every fight is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, each one, you know, uh, in normal superhero fights, right, you already, like, have just the, the dynamism of just different powers and such. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to these, you know, significant different threats, right, Leviathan, the Slaughterhouse-Nine, and Echidna, uh, they're just, just the way that you have to interact with them is completely different, right, where... Um, it, Leviathan's, you know, the big unstoppable bad, like Echidna, right? Mm-hmm. But with Echidna, obviously, you have all the clones. And the clones are, you know, murderous parahumans that you're, you're supposed to kill, like the Slaughterhouse-Nine, except they're yeah. actually, like, pretty easy to kill individually. And uh, it just, yeah, they, they feel like, totally different. like, some of them are chatty and, like, mm-hmm. all these different, like, iterations. It's so interesting. Yes, yes. I, I really... Uh, I I want to see just a, a Wikipedia entry on like every single different clone that was created, even the ones that weren't even mentioned that were just like part of the mass, just mm-hmm. because I want to know what their powers are and and stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah, so l- let's let's go ahead and, and and start getting into the the summary because yes. um, there's so much more to talk about. There's as so we go. much more to talk about. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, of course, as we go through these sections, uh, please keep in mind that it's impossible for us to stop and mention every beat of every through line. We've already, the script is about 10,000 words long. Um, hopefully. It's so long, but it's because <laughs> I am verbose. Yeah, that's um, so. This this week, uh, right? I was traveling, so we we skipped a week. Uh, Clarence is the one who wrote the um, the the little summary bits, the beats, yeah, the beat summaries. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, where Clarence's voice is there. I think I'm going to try to read those. Um, what's the word for uh, verbatim? Because uh. I just love the way <laughs> that you phrase some of this. Uh, but yes. Uh, some of our word count is is just due to uh, I, my summaries are usually just like this happened and then I remember it and I yeah well I mean I kind of insert moment. like I have a lot of opinion no of course and so of course. when recounting I I kind of frame it within an opinion I of suppose. course no um, but uh, but yeah so we're gonna miss some stuff uh, if we don't mention it by the end of the podcast feel free to you know send us a a comment in one of the Reddit threads or send us an email or, or that sort of thing. Uh, but okay, let's let's just go. Mm-hmm. Let us begin. So we start off with Arc 18 Queen, the arc which they fight Noel for the first time up until uh, Skitter gets captured. Mm-hmm. So Coyle's just been murdered, uh, and we we start off here with uh, Skitter and Dinah right having their their last little conversation mm-hmm. before uh, Taylor you know gives up Dinah to. Dinah's parents. And there's this moment here uh, that I think is pretty significant where Dinah is a little bit frightened of of Skitter. Uh, yes, and yeah. Implies, she, like, she like flinches y- away. Yeah, that there's there's a, a chance that Taylor is going to keep her, you know, strategically, but actually, you know, never mm-hmm. give her up and she's never going to be free. And so she mentions that and, and then Taylor, you know, then rationalizes, no, I definitely won't do that. And gives her up to um, her parents. And that's, you know, a wonderful moment. But um, yeah, what's, what's, yeah, I, I do wonder in that moment, um, if Dinah hadn't said that, would Taylor have kept her? I think that might, that, that's I think somewhat likely. I, I think it is definitely likely because like we've seen her pattern of when she's encountering new pair of humans, like she has kind of developed a habit of evaluating them and their usefulness, right? like kind of sorting through what they can do for her and how how to kind of like place them in a position so that she can use them, right? Mm-hmm. Which are really, I suppose, you know, like placing in a position where they must help, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I think I think kind of seeing, you know, Dinah react in that particular way is, is really the only thing that kind of shakes her out of that. Like, because right. we see her, we see her sort of in the back of her mind kind of thinking about that. And it's really, it's it's fascinating because she is able to deliberately stop herself from yeah, doing that. Yeah, that's something that she doesn't practice very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, any sort of real restraint. Um, yeah, and that she, yeah, that she stops her own rationalization. Yeah, which, I mean, what does that say about us that we're, like, surprised that she has stopped, <laughs> like, that she has that willpower now? Because, like, I mean, this whole, this whole, you know, past few books has been about, like, her kind of slowly chipping away at that, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I almost wonder if... if specifically the reason why she's able to hold back in this scenario is just because it's Dinah. Yeah, and, and I think so. Her, her sole focus for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, after this section, we have Kevin Norton's interlude, uh, a.k.a. the most powerful man in the world. So uh, he 
Sion's been listening to him, sort of, um, and listened to him when he gave instructions to go save people across the world. Um, But Kevin is dying, and so he hands off the responsibility to a woman who gave him a 10-pound note. Which, what a chance, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What a chance to be given. (laughs) Great final line. I loved it. 10 pounds to become the most powerful person in the world. Yeah, I know. Something like that, anyway. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. This interlude was really interesting, mostly mm-hmm. because we don't know anything about Zion. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we for ca- Zion I mean, as we yeah, I know as we See, know now. Like, yes, I mean, I guess we kind of know about like what people know about him, right? But like, mm-hmm. we don't know who he is. You know, like how like this made yeah. me wonder of like, you know, like can he speak or does he just choose not to speak? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, because like right, he said he said Zion, right? Yes. You know, and the, but, but then, that's like, the only word ever. Yeah. But then this man, right, Kevin Norton, is really just talking to Sion, right? Not actually, mm-hmm. like, having, having a conversation. Having a conversation, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, but then, like, I don't know, like, how long has he been around without people noticing him, you know? Because, like, he didn't... Mm-hmm. It's... Everything's about, like, other people noticing, so... I don't know. And then he, the whole thing of, like, he doesn't... He doesn't really... He's not tied to anybody that we know of, right? Everything else... Yeah is slowly being yeah. seen as how everything is like super super tied together and integrated but then right. like he's just kind of like present you know i don't know yeah i mean that's true both with Sion and and this interlude in general mm-hmm. uh, this is i think basically the most i i wrote narratively disconnected i don't know if that's true but the most uh, the it has the least connections character wise and and really plot wise with anything or anyone else in the story yeah it's the furthest it's taking place in the uk right Mm -hmm. um and the only character that we've seen before and that we yeah the only character we've seen before is is scion and you know he's more of a force of nature kind of thing and yeah we we, even though this is happening in arc 18 we don't see the results of this Mm um yeah i I just find that very interesting it's just another ball rolling very far away we don't know where it's gonna hit just yet yeah it's really fascinating but it's also i mean it's not it's it's more pronounced than the other ones but i feel like the interludes do that a lot of like Mm -hmm. kind of rolling the you know bar of ball of yarn i suppose you could say away right and they don't really know that you've encountered it until later Mm -hmm. i don't know very i'm I'm interested to see about what happens with this yes of course, of course. Yeah. And it raises a, a lot of other questions, right? Why is Zion calling himself Zion? Mm-hmm. Why is he so apparently sad without actually appearing sad? Yeah. And why is he choosing to listen to Kevin Norton? Yeah, so many questions. Mm-hmm. No answers. <sighs> so uh, we get back to the story. Um, so the Undersiders are talking to Miss Militia and mm-hmm. some of the other uh of the protectorate imperial humans or of the prt uh to try to get them to work with them to take this threat uh seriously they're advocating for it to be a class s threat um yes and i don't know i mean i i brought this up specifically because it there was it was an argument technique that mm -hmm. taylor uses Mm -hmm. very often particularly with um the prt and the wards and like heroes i mean she like kind of uses it for like other people too but it's it really it, i feel like it appears so often with heroes is where she's mm-hmm. kind of like you know i swear on everything i stand for like or i have a reason for this and she you know kind of expects them 
to kind of understand that. Right. And I know we've gone over this like a lot, but it just it just stood out so starkly to me mm -hmm. is that her her kind of like she's she's saying, you know, I, I don't know, like that it doesn't mean anything to them, you know, when she's like, I swear on everything I stand for. Like she right, has, but what does she stand for? She's not a yeah, like, you know part of an organization or has a very very long track record of honor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just she her like ethos doesn't have any like weight to it. But then she al mm -hmm. she always argues like it does. Yes, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then. Um, to as a as a compromise to ensure uh, the loyalty of the underside of Skitter is sort of a hostage more in the like nobility sense, mm -hmm. right? Um, she goes with uh, Miss Militia and the Wards, and Clockblocker uh, is told not to talk to her, but does anyway. And we have this really interesting conversation where Clockblocker is asking her uh, basically to justify all the horrible actions that she's done, and is somewhat fair to her. Yeah. Oh, I just, I really, really like their dynamic, um, Skitter and Clockwalker. It's so, they, like, he's so interesting because mm -hmm. um, her conscious that, like, she wasn't really, you know, kind of examining, especially, right. like, right after she killed Coyle, um, it really, it seems to kind of pick up, right, when he speaks to her and kind of articulates everything that she, his understanding of everything that she's done, right? And he doesn't yeah. even know about, like, the whole Coyle thing, but... I don't know. I don't know what gives why it's particularly him that mm -hmm. like points this out. I think it's perhaps she sees some sort of like I don't know, like like eye to eye sort of thing. That's not what I'm trying to think of, but you know, like this kinship, I guess you could say, of like mm -hmm. this understanding because he doesn't he doesn't fit into kind of the the prescribed like you know Ward's attitude, I guess, like that Weld yeah. would, or yeah. like you know what I mean. He's he's a little bit anti-authoritarian yeah. too. Yeah. So I think that's why her conscious at this point is kind of, oh, well, you know, maybe I should kind of think about what I have been doing and how I'm acting. Yeah. Yeah. His his main point at the end um, is basically you have all these justifications, right? You have all these you know reasons behind what you, why you do things, but you don't pay attention to the aftermath. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically talking about Shadowstalker and a couple others, which is such an interesting, you know, mess of irony because... Uh, it's not entirely wrong for, for um, you know, so Clockwalker to call out Skitter for it, but yeah. it's not, she's not, she didn't condone that particular action that led it to go that way, mm -hmm. right? So she's only like, it, the, the, the responsibility just kind of uh, mixes like in, in a, in a, uh, like as an, in a solution. It's very, very hard to tell. Uh, where responsibility lies with something like that. Yeah. But even though she doesn't know that, you know, Regent was the one to uh, take those decisions, she still says that it was a good idea just because she hates Sophia so yeah, much. Yeah. 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 I suppose, I mean, because she, she holds, she was, you know, the leader, I suppose, at that point. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of the actions that the others, the other undersiders take, even, even the ones that she is unaware of, like, she holds that same amount of like accountabilities as what happened with Dinah, I think. Yeah. You know, just because they're her like people. Right, right. Yeah. If if Regent had told her what he did, I I just wonder what her reaction would be. Which she's like, I mean, I, I, feel I think like she would make a she wouldn't condone it, but like attempt. Hmm? I feel like she'd make a half-hearted attempt to be like to have their whole like you know run around of like 
her denying, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. you got to think about the morality of your actions. But then he'd be kind of like, yeah, but, you know, is it really that bad? And she'd be kind of like, I mean, you know, I feel like <laughs> basically, I feel like yeah, it would just yeah. be sort of like a they'd make the effort of like having she, that she discussion. She would say that it's that it's bad, but like there would be zero consequences yeah, for yeah. for Alec at, at all. Uh, the, the last thing I want to mention here, right, is uh, during that conversation with with Shadowstalk uh, about Shadowstalker, uh, Taylor, you know, is justifying all, all the horrible things and, mm-hmm. and um, it, it, justifying some of her anger at the PRT for having someone so bloodthirsty on their team, right? It, it, because uh, she was uh, granted, you know, leniency yeah. after, for her um, prior actions, right? Her probationary status, status as a ward, right? Mm-hmm. And yet. I mean, that's pretty ironic when at the end of this section, Taylor asks for the same thing. And she's not not a murderer, right? Yeah, the, I mean, so, very true. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get more into some of her terrible irony at the end of this later. Yeah. So next section, oh. uh, they get to the PRT headquarters and there's some uh, various conversations between Miss Militia and Tattletail and, and then um, Eidolon as well uh, mm. before Noel calls in. Yes. Yeah. Well, I wanted to make a side note here about Eidolon. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not, it's more of like an aside of like me wondering things, I suppose. Okay. Um, cause he was talking about, right. Losing his powers perhaps. Right. Or like trying to achieve that, like, um, not like plateau or whatever, but like the next step or something of, you know, whatever his powers are or something. He thinks that there is this sort of like. Oh, a deeper well. Yeah. Is what a he deeper thinks well. There is. Yeah. But I mean, it made me wonder. If the like kind of cauldron prescribed powers, cauldron made powers have like a shelf life or like an expiration date or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, which I mean, maybe off base, you know, because the passengers are already kind of like stuck there, right? They're already occupying their mind, but I don't know. It they aren't they aren't as chosen, right? That they may not be yeah. the destiny, mm-hmm. and so maybe the passengers are are like Noel's, where they they had someone in mind, but now they're stuck with this other person, right? Yeah. Know. That's wondering... an interesting speculation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had another note here about uh, Miss Malicious and Tattletail's discussion about selfish humans versus good humans. Yes. I feel like they brought up, oh, the reasons, the reasons why people do things or like their expectations of what people were going to do. Mm-hmm. Or like Miss Malicious, like people are actually going to be good, so they'll do this. And then Tattletail's like, yeah, but they're inherently selfish. And so they had this whole like huge discussion about what that was. And I was going to find right. it, but I didn't because I got distracted so we don't have to bring it up if you don't want to do you want me to just cut that yeah yeah i didn't okay i wanted to i forgot to go back and look for it um we forgot to put a note here but we should have a note about noel calling in yes so uh at this point then uh noel calls in uh in this is very it's a very creepy call in my opinion um with all these, you know, mutated vistas in the background Mm -hmm. saying that she can smell all the heroes and she gives the the PRT and offer uh, hand over the undersiders and she will kill her clones and leave, um, which the PRT notably does not take. Yeah, they don't. But it's also, I mean, typically those sorts of calls are not honored, you know, where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, turn this person in and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'll leave. You know, they usually don't. They're, they, it usually ends bad. Yeah, from the uh, from Skater's perspective, you know, I, I definitely was like, th- this is not. If if they did that, she definitely would 
Um, even if she really believes that she would, Noel mm-hmm. thinks that she would, she would not actually carry through on that. You know, yeah. I, I mean, someone's got to kill her either way. Because right? she doesn't she can't hold just, like, where autonomy would she go? over her full hmm? self, right? Say again? She doesn't hold full autonomy over herself. Right. Or like over yeah. her body. Which, which they don't all know, but... Oh, yeah, that's true. She's definitely not acting normal, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then uh, Ms. Militia basically assigns the Chicago wards to be sort of the chaperones of uh, the undersiders and says, basically, if you don't follow the rules, if you take off these armbands, if you, you know, do anything against our orders, you uh, are going to get a kill order, mm-hmm. which is rather an escalation. Um, Huge escalation. Mm-hmm. For our resident warlords. Yeah. But I mean, it's also, I suppose it's difficult to sort of... I mean, they're they're dealing with the people who are going to take over the city, right? That are wresting the city's control, right, from them, and have and have um, kind of caused a lot of headache, <laughs> to say the least. You know, but yeah, it does seem a lot. Well, actually, I think I think um, interacting with the Chicago Wars, especially, we kind of get a sense of what the rest of the nation and the world sees. Because like mm-hmm. right now, we're just kind of like, oh yeah, we're like going along with this teenage band of people and they're you know i mean there's some like murder and torture but like no one's you know around right they're like doing their thing but then the chicago ward comes in and you're like the entire nation has been watching this yeah you know and i think it, it kind of like uh you know kind of so you're the teenagers scope. that took over a city yeah yeah which i think that's why it's so interesting um mm-hmm. the scene where skitter and tattletail have like they're off like chatting and having this whole planning session and they're doing their whole like regular sort of banter, you know, like very like serious back and forth sort of thing. And then the wards are just kind of like off to the side listening in, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like it's it has the effect of, you know, like the play within a play sort of thing um, in Shakespeare, you know, where like mm-hmm. there's a there's an audience on stage. And so they have mm-hmm. they have become the audience that we are. You know, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They're the sort of reflection for us. Mm-hmm. We don't really, since we're in Taylor's perspective, we don't actually react in the same way that they do. But yeah. if we were th- with them, maybe we would. So after this, we have an interlude with uh, th- from Crusaders' pr- perspective, mm-hmm. opening, um, talking about torturing Theo, which is a fun opening. Then the yeah. Nazis go to uh, a university and talk to a TA about where powers come from, because they want to give Theo superpowers, of course, mm-hmm. before Crusader decides to abandon uh, Theo there uh, to the PRT. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Crusader is a lot. To Yeah. Yeah. He's just a lot. He really sucks. He does. <laughs> uh. Also, I don't totally understand why there was, like, a prescribed pattern of, of actions that was happening at the beginning. What do you mean? Like, is that... Was that like a requirement of how he operates in life, or was that just kind of like like the non-reading of the newspaper and like the scripted conversation? Oh, right, all of with that. um, with night and fog, right? Yes. So uh, after you you know reading it so many times, basically as I understand it, the uh, Gesellschaft, which I understand that's how I'm guessing that's how you pronounce that. That's the mm-hmm. um the the German white supremacist yeah, yeah. organization, right? Basically created night and fog, um, like. Not uh, from scratch, but they were like brainwashed and a bunch like, of other stuff. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. they basically pretend to be normal humans and they have all this, they, they do the newspaper thing and then cooking way too much food because uh, yes. that's that's just there what they do every single really, day. They're basically really almost programmed to do that. Yeah. Which I think is so fascinating 
Because, like, we have Rune 2 that, I mean, it's not in this moment, but, like, previously we see Rune 2 of, like, we see the effects of, like, children and youth who have been brought up in this environment, right? And then Theo mm-hmm. is kind of a counter to all of them, where he, like, yeah. he sees through all of their bullshit, right? But then he doesn't feel like he can leave because they are really the only, like, support ne- network that he has established or has been handed, yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah. Not to mention that he is, you know, the son of the leader of a white supremacist organization. Yeah, so he's, he's kind of, like, stuck. Already feels that, yeah, he, he can't go to the public, probably. Yeah. 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 Um, but so in this particular interlude, the thing that stuck out the most, which wasn't really like a plot point, but it was just really, really fascinating to me, um, was the discussion with TA. Also, as mm-hmm. like a side note, the concept of like, like, a, like studying parahumans and yeah. teaching classes and all of this. And he's like, oh, haha, that's like a whole semester's worth of information. Like, that's so fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. you don't think about like, I mean, that would be kind of a, like a sociology or you know like anthro kind of piece of academia i don't know it's interesting yeah it's it's interesting because it would be so intersectional while yeah, also being a very also be like narrow perspective because biological, it's biological looking at like yeah. neurology and that sort of thing yeah it's psychological it's biological it's sociological it's physical like i, I yeah, mean as in physics so interesting um yeah yeah but his whole like thing where he's talking about like creating the conditions for a, like a natural, I suppose you could say, naturalized trigger event, you know, that you kind of, in order to create something, you need to like take away all these little pieces that kind of right. fit you into like a social network. Mm-hmm. It was just really interesting, the phrase where he was like, you need support and social pressure to be a good guy, um, which I feel like is Locke, but I'm not totally sure. As in John Locke. Yes, mean. John Locke. Um because I know it's, like, part of that era of writing, but um, the whole concept of, like, social contracts form us into beings that that are good. You know, that we are born bad and then, like, we become good by society or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's Locke, right? I think so. Because or... Rousseau is, like, I... the one that... Rousseau is blank slate. Yeah. And the... Hobbes is, like, we're terrible anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. somebody says something about us being corrupt by society... Is that Rousseau? I think that's Rousseau. Yeah, that's Rousseau. Yeah. Yeah. The the idea of a noble savage, if you're in the wild, you're a perfectly good person. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, it just just brought up this whole concept of like, I don't know, an an intriguing bit, I suppose, of of an argument for or against like what you need to be a good person. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort of an aside, but it was just, it was an interesting thing to, to sort of place in this moment. Yeah. So as a as a counter perspective, I think in this particular scene, mm-hmm. the, what I took it to mean is that you need emotional support network in the aftermath of trauma to not carry carry out the worst impulses of your of your trauma, right? To yeah. to hurt other yeah. people, which is I, I think there's a statistic somewhere earlier on that's like there's way more villains than than heroes, and yeah. I think that's that. I mean, if you are that does make hurt, sense. you're going to lash out that kind of thing. Which also, I mean, this is later on with, like, the Emma interlude, but I suppose perhaps that made me wonder about her encounter of, like, even though Sophia wasn't really, like, a support or whatever, she was, like, she kind of disrupted that moment that I feel like could have perhaps turned into a trigger event, but then did not because she saved her. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. 
And then she became she became point. the social network, right? This isolated social network yeah. that kind of was abusive. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was it was intriguing to think about that as like a disrupted moment. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting thought. We'll we'll talk about more uh, yeah, yeah, that we'll interlude more when later. we get there. Of course, I I have other thoughts. Um, yes. You you also had a point here. Oh. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Also, um, this whole conversation, this whole like you know kind of trying to figure out how to make him have a trigger event, make Theo have a trigger event, Mimi, it seemed to imply to me that they don't, they either don't know of Cauldron, or they have deliberately decided not to pursue the concept of purchasing powers. Right. Um, which I feel like is corroborated? Confirmed. Confirmed. Sure. By the number man interlude. Yeah. Because yes. he was kind of like, oh, I'm just going to like casually toss in some money and they won't notice, you know, mm-hmm. so it seemed like they had some sort of disruption um, in that interaction of like the the German white supremacist group seemed to be unaware of, I don't know. I mean, that didn't super co- corroborate, it, it but it just did it, kind it of, felt like there was yeah, yeah. there was some sort of unawareness, right? Mm-hmm. Perhaps. I don't know. Which, I mean, it would really... Uh be a point in favor of of cauldron a very unexpected point if they don't give superpowers to white supremacist organizations yeah. i would not have expected that of them because so. he was deliberately messing up their yeah, whole little yeah, plan he was, yeah yeah yes mm, yeah and then this whole i don't know this the aside of with crusader um his whole little like reflection of like how he felt was i was wondering if he was like a donor baby you know where like mm-hmm. the family like has a second child so that they can save their first child like physically, I I did not know that was a thing. Yeah, I don't know if it's like an actual thing, but I I've seen it a couple of times. That's terrifying. Yeah, isn't that horrible? Anyways, you know, yeah. parents are strange sometimes. Yeah. <sighs> well, he turned out a Nazi, so don't, yeah, I mean, it didn't work out uh, very well. Kind of, it's it's like reverse karma, right? It's yeah, karma yeah. going backwards. He was he's going to be bad in the future, so they hurt him in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to the main story. Yes, and um. I think, did I already talk about this before? About handing the Undersiders over? Oh, well, yeah, because we left with her kind of, with Noelle's video, right? Or telephone call, video call. I think we left a little bit after. Oh, did didn't we? we? I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps. Maybe maybe I, I have things out and of we, order. I also mix up the chronology of things. That's okay. But they had this whole, like, conversation about it, and, they're, and it, I feel like I brought it up mostly because it was just, we we were meeting all these this huge amount of people mm-hmm. and the only way that she really was interacting with them was by kind of feeling them out with bugs because she didn't have yeah. sight still okay so let's yeah let's let's do it on air mm-hmm. so uh we, we cut back and there's a some various conversations with the chicago wards and some other characters uh where uh, taylor you know she's she's blind at this point so the only way that she's able to see anything at all about them is putting bugs on them she at, at best she can get the roughest estimation of of mm-hmm. posture or direction that someone is looking but not the even tone is a little bit difficult uh to tell yeah it's really it's it, it's it's so odd too because like we keep forgetting you know the audience yeah. oh or perhaps i don't know perhaps you have it in your head but i feel like i kept no, forgetting no, no, i definitely yeah because she is like i mean she's talking about their movements and all of this so it's like you don't really think about it right it's like um, well, in the interlude with Brew, where we see her, he he's like looking at her walk across the street and not look side to side, 
or she's just kind of quietly right. looking ahead and he knows it's because she's kind of feeling out you know it's this very i don't know it's it just boggles my mind that no one knows at this moment <laughs> you know and then it's also this whole thing of like she can't get any of the nuances of human interaction right she can't see the like changes in expression or you know uh, positioning of their bodies what is that body what is that posture, posture. Yeah. yes yes posture and and but she's still like hyper aware of who's speaking and kind of where they are in terms of spatial positionality right yeah. you know um so then suddenly like her brain while usually try try she usually tries to make um a bit of effort you know in the emotional social bits all of that now she like her technical reasoning is like hyper attend like is getting yeah. this like full attention right yeah it's kind of uh, going blind has strengthened her combat senses a lot, mm-hmm. but cut her off from emotions. Um, she went blind at the start of the cold conflict, so I kind of analogize that to getting tunnel vision, basically. Yeah. Uh, and she doesn't regain it until she's pulled out of Noel, and basically, like the only break. Yeah. I mean, there's Wait, the break so in she between. Can't, does Coyle she not Noel, see but... when she kills Coil? I don't think she does. That's interesting. Oh, I did not something that's think easily about that, forgotten. But that's yeah. really I feel like that's an important huh. point. Yeah. Because because she has this this sort of hyper awareness in the tactical sense and kind of lets the emotional bit go to like to wayside or whatever, right? So she her pro, like I guess that that I feel like her her kind of caustic attitude in the mm-hmm. aftermath of that I think makes more sense now. Yeah. Also she, all of that happened yesterday. Oh my god, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so I forget about I, how like everything to me, is happening. It, the 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 reason I flashed to that is because I was remembering the confrontation after the undersiders think that she betrayed them, and imp you know just kicking the shit out of her yeah. and you know basically wanted to kill her and that that was that was yesterday. So yeah, and they haven't. It's yeah. I feel like it's they, been an emotional they don't roller coaster. sleep for like a while. No, no, they all don't. of them, and they no. have this whole conversation where they're like, "Welp." Here we go. I don't know. It just if I feel like there's just a huge amount of stress happening. Yeah, there's I think there's one bit where uh there it, it might be during the um hour break after Noel gets a building collapsed on her mm-hmm. uh between um at the beginning of arc 19 where they drive to Skitter's territory so she can get Atlas and she's like dozes off a little bit in the car yes. but not like entirely mm-hmm. and it's just like I, I've I've you know traveled sometimes and there's been times where like I was that exhausted too but you know it just we just had to keep going the, the travel plans like didn't mm-hmm. let us you know have a a good rest and that kind of extremely tired twilight s- sleep in a stressful situation um, I don't know I, I I don't even know what I'm getting at I just know that I I know that feeling and yeah yeah it resonated um, it's just yeah I've I've the the timeline I think you. You forget because so much happens in the moments that you like. I feel like I feel like there isn't a moment to decompress until way later. Yeah. And um, when she goes to see her mother, I think is really the first time that she's like taken a breath mm-hmm. in this whole kind of like section of arcs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then the Chicago Wards and the other siders start fighting clones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor's bugs are chopping up. A- arteries yeah, um wild. there's like, some deaths that mm-hmm, there's some very fast deaths that you know take just basically some of the times she 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 kills people as fast as like the slaughterhouse nine did mm-hmm. basically yeah. um 
And Taylor is recognizing the tactics of Noel, uh, placing um, in- individual use- useful individuals um, to carry out maximum damage while also being the heavy hitter at the center, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. exactly Skitter's tactics, except... Uh, <laughs> much better in a lot of ways yeah i feel like she says better but i feel like it's just like a larger scale you know like if she had that amount of capability she would be just like just as much of like you know if her bugs had superpowers yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, wild Mm -hmm. Uh, and the the combat here is is exceedingly violent where i mean we're working with vistas here and vistas power is not super you know, in your face, violent, and yet because of the radiation twist, one character just instantly has a death sentence. One of our heroes, yeah, oh and my God, that whole, that chests are being caved in, and yeah, it's really it's very violent. Yeah, the the fighting of, of Noel and like everybody is is almost like immediately very violent, but then there's like this whole other aspect to it. I think um, that makes it so difficult. I think because because it is like Noel, right, mm-hmm. and in their mind. I mean, the the individual that they're fighting is is really very different than Noel. But then, I don't know. It's it's very like complicated. I think in terms of like their mentality of approaching the fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is exactly the right moment here, but uh, we can talk about evil clones a bit. Mm, yes. Um, so I mean, first, I, I mean, the first thing I want to say is just just the fact that Wildbo can put evil clones and kaiju in the story and it doesn't feel at all like a cliche it's just brilliant um uh but so of course there's there's the the question there like is it okay to be you know killing these clones like this there's there's that moment later on where uh they're they're chasing after noel noel uh basically picks up a bunch of random people Mm -hmm. and pukes them out immediately and you know there's a short conversation between taylor and these evil clones and they're like just horror they they seem to be in such a, like a horrible mental state but repeatedly mm, we get signs yeah. that i mean they are thinking feeling beings they might be extremely uh, basically yeah, evil all of them have but... like a to-do list that's like kill friends and family but then like yeah. beneath that they're like here is all of my f- like these pains and and aches and heartaches and loneliness and all of this that i haven't processed yeah. but now that i have you know no filter here's all of that for you to examine yeah yeah. So I feel like that it, it makes it really difficult, I think, because she has to keep reminding herself. She like she like mentally goes through in her head where she's like, these are not people, you know, like or, or yeah. with a little dash, you know, not people. Yeah. I mean, on on the other hand, like, you know, definitely they definitely needed to die. Yeah, right. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they barely win cause... as is without holding back mm-hmm. at all. So I, I definitely don't blame any of the heroes or the undersiders for yeah, for yeah. killing these clones their actions but, are justified yeah uh, but it's it's still uh, the the morality of it is definitely questionable mm-hmm. that, i mean i i think really the the truly evil thing is noel's power uh, because it's just creating these basically these cursed beings that are doomed to suffer right yeah, yeah. like they are created in, a, in this horrible mental state and there's no way that they'll recover and they'll only wreak suffering and it just makes me wonder about like uh, uh, other stories where you know that has these sort of evil creatures right mm-hmm. like you know the orcs in lord of the rings and whatnot i, I where they trouble me it, greatly he, you know yeah, well, it because makes me... mm-hmm. this is i know i like bring up aragon all the time and i don't know why because <laughs> i haven't read that book in like at least 10 years uh-huh. but i feel like you would really like it 
because mm-hmm. I mean it's slightly derivative because he like wrote it when he was like 15 or whatever but um he has a similar kind of like group of individuals that are kind of like orcs right but um the main character like goes and hangs out with him for a while and like learns the way that they work and and like their whole culture and like it i don't know it really like kind of you know subverts that that whole like you know writing them off as as like oh the evil creatures. yeah evil creatures that are you know here to assist some great being yeah 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 i think that's definitely like a something to bring up is this yeah well the the, the question that this made me think about is is something evil if they're only mm-hmm. carrying out their nature or is that the definition of evil because everything else is just like just bad circumstances and and bad upbringing right like not even i'm not even talking about determinism now right yeah. but like if something has been formed to be evil like they they didn't have any choice at all in the matter yeah. right yeah. like like these clones like the orcs and whatnot they're carrying out evil actions but they never had any agency in you know becoming you know a, a better person is are they evil or uh, yeah are, are, are yeah. they evil yes or no because each one is like complete yeah it's difficult opposites yeah of direction i feel like are they evil or are they innocent that's the, that's yeah. the dichotomy there but the question is can they be both mm-hmm. you know of like i mean we'll talk about it in just a second but this whole concept of like you know what comprises a monster you know like what mm-hmm. what makes something like how wh- what are the what are the you know requirements for us to label something to be evil right yeah like does it have to be within the mind the like body the soul like if if these beings are like pre-programmed to kind of hold on to the worst bits of their like original selves and have this kind of pre-programmed you know to-do list right checklist um are they evil until they choose not to do so mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. or like if they do commit those acts like of they go out you know to like commit murder or whatever do they hold all the blame or is that also assigned to like noelle and her body making these things yeah you know yeah and then does the blame whoever whoever holds the blame are they the one that is evil or are they both evil or mm-hmm. yeah i don't know yeah yeah it, it reminds me of the the question of you know people who have stuff that they're worried about passing on to their children mm, and that's yeah. sort of the question that they have to face of like i, I mean I, again noelle is not really you know thinking about that question she's, she's got other priorities yeah, right yeah. but like is it all okay for me to bring something like this in, into the world? And you, she's just creating them constantly, right? Like every t- you know ten minutes, she creates like twenty or whatever. Yeah. And it's just the it's, it's such a irresponsible creation of life. I oh, think. it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. This. Yeah. Huh. It's very much worse than children because it's just so unthinking, so quick. For I mean, it, in some of them, it takes seconds. You know. Mm-hmm. And they're like half thought out. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Noelle's a fascinating discussion. I think she brings up she her just her like her whole like presence. Yeah, I guess I, not presence, but like mm-hmm. you know situational self. I think. What do you mean by situational self? I guess because we we know her like background, right? But then like I don't know. It just what she had like what she has become, right? Like her the pieces of herself that like 
are mixed with this being that is her. I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I, I don't even know how to just like put it into words. We'll, we'll, we'll have more about it when we get to her interludes. So yeah, yeah. you can save it for then. So then we have uh, Jessica Yamada's interlude, the therapist mm-hmm. for the wards. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we, we have Jessica Yamada's interlude. She, uh, we, we start off with her talking to Victoria or what's happened to Victoria. Yes. Um, then we go to talk to uh, Sveta, a.k.a. Garot. Garrett, I never know how to pronounce that word. Garrett, the Garrett just sounds Garot. wrong. So is it Garrett? You know, anyway, like, anyway, Sveta. <laughs> uh, and then the the latter half has to do with talking with uh, many of the wards in turn, uh, finishing off with speaking to Eidolon, who Yamada describes as mm-hmm. uh, one of the real monsters. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting because she Yamada like. She she's kind of placed in she she doesn't have the kind of camaraderie right she can't like offer that as like a lowering the barrier of entry sort of thing into these like conversations because I mean she hasn't been totally there right that's they call her out on that and she hasn't she doesn't fully understand or she doesn't she de- she can't fully like understand everything they've been through right but then like she very she's so like very deliberately like creates like trust I think between yeah. all of them it's really interesting especially especially um garot i suppose garrett however i you could just say sveta, sveta. That, um because yeah. i don't know it to me i don't know just she's she's so like caring and it's i mean she i mean she puts herself like in danger and everything but i don't know it was a nice gesture but but what i want, wanted to bring up about her kind of this like little background um like commentary in her mind about Eidolon, um, mm-hmm. which I think, I feel like that, um, that kind of conversation about how, how Sveta does not have control over her body or yeah. she has very little control, right? Um, that there is this sort of separation of, of the acts that her body commits and her mind, you know? Right. And I feel like, I feel like the definition that Yamada places of monster, like Eidolon is a monster rather than Sveta, I think is important because it's about like choice. Yeah. You know, is not, is not a label that has been placed upon Eidolon. Like, although, yeah, the, I suppose the, she though, she question, places it upon him. Yeah. What I wonder though, is it, she views him as a monster. Why? Mm. It, yeah. Like, yeah. Because yeah. he's not a murderer, right? I, I mean, he's extremely powerful and a little bit inhuman, right? He does the extreme, you know, violation of of privacy by uh, going back through her past three days um, and other things. That's true. Uh, but it's but, also but he's not. She I, I mean, she he's intelligent, but she doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. Very intriguing. Why she has like come to this conclusion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just I guess just people that are are so powerful and um. yeah I don't know there was I feel like somebody else brings up the concept where his his uh, one of the Chicago wards I think um, Grace is like mm-hmm. you know the the undersiders I think are like kind of twisting or, or to her they seem to be twisting like his reasons for what he's doing right and then yeah. she's like his reasons are for like you know he's doing the right thing he's doing good you know. And then she's like, you guys twist everything, right? And then um, I think Regent, you know, is like, oh, haha, yes. But, um, <laughs> you know, as Regent does. But yeah, right, 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 it was right. just, yes. um, it was notable, I think, because because 
that reason of like, you know, he's doing it for good or like for the greater good kind of leaves out the like the other side of that explanation of like mm-hmm. it that sort of that sort of justification leaves room for like collateral damage that can be kind of brushed away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which can like I don't know, I feel like is is something that, that the like the governmental good can kind of let spin out of control, you know? Like with Armsmaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I don't know. Perhaps perhaps it's something about like Yamada's definition of monster is like someone who does not see the effects of like does not feel the remorse of the actions that they take. You know, or yeah. like And he's just very like ungrounded, I think is another thing. Yeah. He's just very, very separated from humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course we could talk about so much from Yamada is truly this. It's something worthy of like forty-five to an hour. Um, yes. Oh my god, this whole of, of talk is just because. So yeah, every single character is is worth talking about. Mm-hmm. One, one little thing, just um, I remember you asking why didn't they make Panacea go to you know a normal prison, and we mm-hmm. have that answered at the beginning here with uh, Yamada telling Victoria that uh, they were afraid of. Um, her releasing some terrible plague and murdering everyone. Yeah. So they kind of had to, but uh, yeah. And, and then there's there's so much else. We're going to talk a lot about names later on. Yes. Um, yes. Once you know Weaver comes comes about. But, <sighs> names, yes. names, and clothes. Both of those things in this particular set of arcs were just like so important. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And we will have moments for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's let's continue Onward. forward. So there's some more fighting. Um, Ailan is, is is fighting Noel, that sort of thing. But we'll, we're we're gonna skim over that mm-hmm. uh, before the travelers appear. And for a second, it it does feel like okay, this is gonna be some of the final confrontation moments. Sundancer is probably gonna use her orb. You know, Noel's kind of pinned in place. But then Noel um, appeals to Trickster's uh, loyalty and mm-hmm. his his guilt. And he switches sides. He betrays them. He switches people around. Uh, Brian and, and Skidder both are consumed by Noel, and basically everything goes wrong. Yeah. Ah, mm. uh, trickster. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, say what you want about him. He's ill-motivated. He makes the wrong calls. He's an asshole. Uh, he, you know, guilt-tripped uh, Noel a lot. Mm. But he is loyal. So he is loyal, but I feel he's like his that. loyalty is <laughs> very misplaced. Yeah, like he's blindly loyal, almost. I would say mm-hmm. is that he doesn't. I mean, he, definitely, like there's like the you know the whole guilt aspect to it, and his like previous you know sort of attraction towards her. But I feel like I don't know. I feel like he doesn't. He he isn't able to like fully acknowledge how like far gone she is. Yeah, it, I mean, it reminds me of just his thought processes regarding the breakup right yes of like he's choosing first he's choosing something that's not really there Mm -hmm. he's loyal to something that's not really existing that the relationship the the thing that he wanted does not exist right neither of them were were truly happy so he's just like choosing to care so much about noel and things like that but like there's not really any um like emotional or or logical like ground for that to to, to come out of it's yeah, not it's yeah. not a natural loyalty it's not over the course of you know many 
they, over the course of their two years of traveling around uh, Earthbed that they, you know, grew even closer or anything like that. No, they, they, I mean, it, they only possibly could have grown further apart and more contentious in their relationship with each other. Yeah, well, because it yet, seems like there's so much placation. Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, yeah, it's it's a very, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if high school is the right kind of term for it, oh, but it reminds me. Oh, I would say definitely, like it, it has, really, yeah. it has the like foolish idealism of high school relationship to me. Yeah. Like, of like not fully thinks, acknowledging the reality of what's happening. Yeah. That this is what you're supposed to do with someone mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you're supposed to be in love with. Yeah. Like obligatory actions and, and kind of this like narrative that doesn't exist yeah yeah so we have an interlude here with uh first is the interlude from fault lines perspective mm-hmm. uh they're searching for answers about case 53s and cauldron uh they go they break into the quarantine zone in, in madison actually uh picking up a case 53 there and asking some questions about uh cauldron um when they get back to their hotel, Tattletale calls about Labyrinth, and that's a setup for something we're going to see at the end of Arc 19, uh, before they are attacked by an agent of Cauldron with a yes. fedora. As a warning, of course. Yes, yes. I'm very intrigued by this agent of Cauldron. But also, mm-hmm. I really like um, the whole group's like dynamic. I mean, I liked them previously, too, when we saw them like in um, uh, Gregor's interlude and... and uh, we had one from Labyrinth, right? Or perhaps that was yeah, yes. that was Labyrinth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't know. They just like I like their their grouping, but I wanted to mention that um, Faultline has this whole like little inventory mm-hmm. um, that she kind of like sorts through, right? Um, and it was really yeah. interesting because it feels very much like Taylor's kind of systematic way yeah. of kind of you know uh, categorizing information and like you know kind of checking in on everything. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, and then additionally. Which is a total side note, but I feel like it's something that really needs to be brought up because it's fucking amazing. Um, is when they're like getting ready and she puts her like ponytail in, but it's actually uh-huh. like like got spikes fucking in it. spikes. Oh my god. Yeah. That's I loved that. That was great. Yeah. It really shows how serious she is about this. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. This is uh, some extra textual information, but so Wildbo uh spent a good amount of time before starting worm just right basically attempting to write worm Mm -hmm. there's um i think something like probably like 20 drafts or something like that of uh different first couple chapters and and things i i think the original well maybe i shouldn't say the original title because it's a foreshadowing of something that um you should know yet but so some of the main characters the the main character had not been chosen yet Mm. it was actually i think supposed to be a, a rotating cast but one um, was fault line actually uh, another was um both victoria and um amy and um oh, that would have been a very overwhelming story <laughs> <laughs> yes it would have that was supposed to be called guts and glory which uh is a really fun that is. fun name um and then then some other characters as well i think circus was one of them oh, um circus Yes, which is a very, very minor character in this version of yeah, the, yeah. the story, at least up to this point. Um, yeah, I think Taylor actually was a pretty like later mm-hmm. um, choice of a character. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Oh, that is. Um, okay, so... Mm-hmm. Sorry, we can keep going. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, so the next interlude is uh, Noelle's, and it's 
so we see from her perspective that she's sort of in control of her body. She is planning mm-hmm. things, but she's completely overwhelmed with the biological emotions that are, are flooding her body, right? The endorphins, yeah. The, yeah. the adrenaline. And uh, she keeps getting subsumed in these visions of, of her past, right? Some of them are happy. Some of them are not. Uh, she yes. Is she being subsumed yeah. or is she being deliberately shown these things? That's a good question. Because, like, is she is she receiving, like, this sort of, like, because both, with both Brian and Taylor, when they're in the, you know, kind of, you know, belly of the beast, so to say, um, they also have these sorts of things, right? Except, I mean, there's much more, like, twisted and all of this, right? But it seems like this, to her, this keeps occurring, right? That this is, I don't know, I don't yeah. know if it's, like, a deliberate, it, uh, perhaps. Yeah. I wonder how often she had these visions before she broke out of the vault. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She's kind of stuck in her own mind with somebody else there yeah. who doesn't want to be there. Yeah. It's terrible. So we see some of her past, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We see that, that breakup this time from, from her perspective uh, and how she's always had this sort of um, – she's always had an eating disorder of some type. Um, yeah. And also that's, her perspective you know, deeply ironic like... at this point. That is, it's it's very interesting. But also, you know, is that a reflection of, I mean, I guess because her trigger event wasn't really like, it wasn't meant to happen, but mm-hmm. there is definitely like an interaction, right, of of power and person. So was there some sort of like interaction there in her headspace? Mm-hmm. Or is it like, are the powers prescribed? So like whoever the passenger is just kind of is like, yeah. I guess this is what I got to do, you know? Yeah. I don't know. How does it adapt to a, a specific host? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, I keep interrupting and, you as you're like going no, through no, your No, 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 that's totally, that's totally right. She has um, that, that she she goes along that, that train of thought as well, thinking about, yeah, how perhaps she was not destined to get this specific power. Yeah. yeah. Well, because she, she has, she saw like the the memory of, her passenger, didn't she? Mm-hmm. Where it's kind of like the the destiny has been disrupted sort of thing. Which makes me wonder right. about like all the passengers that are in all the cauldron people's heads. You know, like, yeah. are they all also misplaced? Like even the ones that it kind of like worked out with, like are they also, did they also have somebody else in mind, but then it didn't happen, you know, naturally or, you know, kind of in, in you know, the, I don't want to say like in situ, but like you know, in the place, right? You know, in mm-hmm. in the it, it was it was artificially produced. Like, are they all also like misplaced? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I have a lot of wondering. Um, <sighs> so the the last the things I have here are just of like how she she really is slowly getting consumed by her own body, mm-hmm. and I think she only she she realizes that herself, and it's this kind of. Um, helpless desperation that she can't. She's she's sliding down this this trail and she can't s- stop yeah. at all. She only she I mean she only wants to return to Noble, but she can't. She can't. So she lashes out. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's just I feel like the entirety of the traveler's tale is very like yeah. is very tragic, mostly because like yeah. it's almost they almost kind of know. Like I mean they have this hope that they're holding out for like a solution to everything right but yeah it's like it's so ill-fated from the beginning you know and they they emerge from from 
the Seamurg's influence, right? So they have that sort yeah. of hanging over their head this entire time where they kind of know that there will be some sort of fate that is not great at the end, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they were bas- they basically refused um received a prophecy yeah. at that moment. Yeah, so she yeah, she's this I, I mean Noel in particular is this poor girl mm-hmm. consumed and being consumed basically by like a mental illness. Yes. Like that's kind of I think that's very easily analogized to real life where it's mm-hmm. a, a mental illness that you cannot or for some reason could not get help for. And it just gets worse and worse until friends and family, you know, can't even recognize her. Yeah. And so, so they keep saying that it's not her anymore. And they're sort of right, but they're also wrong because she is there. Mm-hmm. That That is her. There's an unbroken connection between the her of, the her of now and the her of two years ago before this. Um and it, like, especially when they're, when they're talking about it, about it being not her, ballistic, right? Multiple times, but before the section talks about, oh, Noel wouldn't, you know, be able to regenerate from getting hit with a bullet or whatever. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, well, then that means that most parahumans aren't who they were anymore. That's not a very good argument. But he's just like grasping for some reason to some physical, visual reason to not have to categorize her as the girl he once knew. Yeah. 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 It's just very painful to watch. Yeah. And, and related, so a trickster is someone who only wants who who wants to help mm-hmm. but only hurts ever, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, he did that in the relationship too. He wants to help her, but it just makes her even more guilty and he's, you know, helping Noel now to trying to save her, but in doing so, he he's giving her more masks, more clones and mm-hmm basically just letting her slide deeper and deeper into uh, control by her power. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's very much like... I feel like it's... I I said that it was illustrative of, like, the wreckage of an unequal love, but I feel like it's also... Mm -hmm. He is the one that, like, is there that is seemingly, like, trying to help, but the one who isn't totally helping, who who doesn't recognize the situation as it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a category of person, but, like... When someone, I feel like, is suffering, like, who's battling a mental illness, I think that is, like, so totalizing, I think. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like there is, like, an individual who doesn't acknowledge, like, the, the like, the amount of help that needs to yeah. be provided, you know? That is yeah. kind of, like, like enabling, not the, but, like, you know, like, unhealthy coping me- mechanisms or something like that. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like he's kind of that person for her. For sure. Where he, yeah. he feels like he he is helping, like that that is his intention, but the the reality of it isn't what his expectation is. Yeah. He thinks he's basically enough to save her. Yeah. And he's not at yeah. all. So uh we then get into Arc nineteen, Scourge, in which uh everybody shows up, Noel wrecks everyone, and everything goes wrong. Until Taylor waves the red cape uh, for the bull to charge, and mm-hmm. Tattletail goes full mastermind. So we open here with Taylor having visions while stuck in the belly of Echidna. Uh, this we start off with a high school hell warped and mixed up, um, like nightmares, uh, among some other ones. Mm-hmm. But you all, we also get visions of uh, what's going on outside of Echidna through her bugs. Um, so. We see some Taylor clones attacking Tattletail, uh, which are disturbing because they're not entirely dissimilar from Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's very interesting too. Because, like the the conversation that they have with Taylor, or particular, I think one particular one especially, where it's like, 
there's all these moments that Taylor chooses not to push Tattletail, like chooses not to push Lisa, right? Mm-hmm. But then all like the Taylor clones, like they don't have that, you know, inhibition, right? Like they don't have that that whatever, you know, holding like, you know, kind of dictating that, that maybe they shouldn't ask this, right? Where I don't know. I feel like it there's I don't know, it just they there's there's not enough distance, I think, between mm-hmm. the Skitter clones and, like, her mind. Yeah, they're just, like, some of these things, right, talking, the, the way they talk to Tattletail, talking about the, the secrets and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I almost think that just Taylor on a really bad day would could say basically the exact same thing. Yes, yeah. Not in a murderous way, but yeah, would say no, the same thing. there wouldn't be, like, this, like, you know, th- yeah, there wouldn't be the murder, you know, undertones, but I... Mm-hmm. Of of the clones that have, you know, kind of had a chat with everybody else, I feel like hers are the ones that are closest to, like, her, like, their their kind of feelings are closest to, like, the ones that she shows, I guess. Like, there isn't, there mm-hmm. isn't a, a strong, like, with Alexandria, like, she wouldn't have, you know, had that whole, like, long thing, you know, if it was just her, actually her, right? Like, there is, yeah. her, her barrier is much stronger, but I feel like Taylor is doesn't have that i guess yeah but um yeah so uh to talk about um taylor's dreams Mm -hmm. um we see how her past mistakes are really really haunting her she feels like she can't save anyone and the dream's sole motivation is basically to grind her down and make her give up yeah yeah Mm. Uh, so she's cut out uh by weld and there's a great moment there and most of them are able to escape but not before shatterbird is freed from within the, the, the bowels of um, Coyle's base and not under Regent's control because he has only just been cut out of Ikin as well. And she screams. She does. Yes. Ah. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. This is very exciting. Mostly because Shatterbird shows up and also Chair shows up later. And so I was just getting very excited about all of this, <laughs> you know. Um, Maybe you can get the the gang back together. The Slaughterhouse I don't know. Nine There's gang. just too many people that have died, you know. Mm-hmm. The other two were well, like silicone. I mean, we we get some signs that that's not going to be as big a problem as. as um, yeah, it seems like there's a, going to be a, a mess, which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I shouldn't be because there's probably going to be a lot of death and like you know murderous <laughs> and bloody things, but like they're fun. I mean, in like a yes. twisted sort of way, you know. Oh, for sure. For sure. We'll, we'll get into that, that later on yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, so I also want to mention here that there's actually a secret interlude uh, at this point. Um, I, I won't tell you to, to read until after Worm mm-hmm. because this is Worm as it's supposed to be published. Uh, but he released a chapter here from the perspective of a clone of Tattletale, mm-hmm. um, but was unsatisfied with the result. And I think basically deleted it a couple hours after posting it or something. Yeah. Um, so it's now it's the kind of sort of pseudo canon where like we see um, I'm going to spoil a little bit, but we see Shadowbird's um, backstory, basically. And uh, oh. that her backstory is canon, but I don't think the actions that happen in that particular section are so. Oh. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Oh, to mention. that is. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Ah, I really, I like that concept of being able to see in the perspective of a clone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, we get, sure. like, when we get the interludes and, you know, we see kind of in the minds of people, but, like, unfettered. That would be a really interesting read, I think. Yes. 
So mm-hmm. uh, the Undersiders get out and blow up the entire base. Um, there's a, a point here where Tuttle tells about a punch in the code where then Miss Militia stops her and Tattletail lets Miss Militia um, you know, d- decide whether she or Tattletail will push the button and Miss Militia ta- decides to take responsibility and do it herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I really like her, Miss Militia. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, later on she gets kind of, you know, kind of non-action-y, but I feel like everything that she does is very deliberate, you know? Like sometimes yes. with the PRT people and like the protect, like I feel like they're kind of. Um, I I want to use um, like a shotgun analogy, but I don't know enough about guns to fully <laughs> articulate it. But whichever one is like, you know, where it kind of like breaks into a bunch of things, or you uh-huh. know, you try a bunch of different things. It's some idiom that people use, but I don't know the idiom. Okay, I don't know. Oh, just a shotgun style approach. I guess so. I think I think that's Which what is, it is. Which is because it's shotguns. Um, uh, I forget the. It might just be shotgun shells, but not slugs. Slugs are the other one. Anyway, where they shoot actually a bunch of like little little yeah. tiny. I feel like sometimes pellets. their actions are like that, but she doesn't have like she doesn't have that sort of you know kind of try everything approach. Like to me, when she makes a decision, she makes a decision. You know, mm-hmm. and she she acts upon it. She takes responsibility for it. You know, she she holds herself accountable. I think. Yeah. You know, in her mind. Yeah, Miss Militia, uh, Weld, and Yamada are three of the most commonly um, cited as like capital G good characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought that was another interesting thing. Uh, so here we actually see multiple conversations. Taylor has a conversation with Miss, L- Miss Militia and, and Weld after her clone admitted to killing uh, Thomas Calvert, um, a.k.a. Coyle. And Miss Militia decides not to give them a kill order for now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, so there's there's multiple conversations with, with Miss Militia here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the one where Taylor is asking Miss Militia to help them fight Echidna. This, the one around with Clock Blocker. This one where Taylor admits to killing Coil. And then later, of course, the conversation with, with Flechette and Parian. And, of course, the one where she turns herself in. Yeah, yeah. And through all of these, we get a pretty pretty damn good picture of who Miss Militia is, yeah. right? It, just as you said, right, upholding the law, but wanting more than anything to do the right thing, right? She She's actually, actually like, ex- exceedingly empathetic with Skitter, like... Mm-hmm. She, you know, she asks about evidence and and other things. She, she's working within the system, but like, other than that, basically, is almost always assuming that Taylor is telling the truth or trying to tell the truth or something yeah, like she it. like gives her space to explain, yeah. without kind of needling her all the way through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So then Taylor goes. Uh, Tattletail makes Taylor go and get healed. Finally, we go see Scapegoat um, <sighs> as. Clarence wrote an interdimensional flipbook of selves to be the best, acquiring the injuries of others. Uh, this is the moment most of the people in that earlier powwow about Noel realize that Skitter has been blind. So it's a hilarious moment. <laughs> She's fucking blind. Ah, uh, it's, it's pretty good. I don't. It just. It's. I don't know. It's just very amusing to me that like nobody like notices, you know. And she's just yeah. so like self-assured, you know. And then. Scapegoat kind of is like. Also, Scapegoat's power seems kind of horrible. Like yeah. it's marketable, you know. He, he can power. like you know make money off of it because everyone's you know that's uh, convenient for others. But like it seems really hellish for him. 
you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, he's kind of stuck. I mean, because he takes on their injuries, yes? He, he can give his injury to someone else is the other thing. Oh. That's what they do with one of the clones later okay, on. Okay, that's There's much a moment better. There. That, that makes but it But then th- that's the problem is that if someone receives lethal injuries, he's got to take the lethal injury and then give it to someone else. So. Yeah. I don't know. It just yeah. seems like... He's always feeling the pain of others. It's like, yeah, like in Star Trek, you know the the like Betazoids, you know, um, well, which I don't. They, <laughs> it, they're they're like a type of alien. Um, there's like a counselor in in Next Generation that's a Betazoid, but like she can feel the emotions of other people, ah. and like like a visceral feeling of others' emotions, not just reading them. Um, but like I feel like it's his. It's like that all the time, right? He's just kind of like... I mean, he can give it to other people, I suppose, which makes it better. But just like constantly taking on... He is a space for other people's pain all the time. But it's like yeah, this visceral... I don't know. And then it's also additionally like when he kind of takes on everything um, that she's feeling, like he he's kind of like thrown for a loop for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I feel, like, I feel like I'm remembering the scene correctly. But it's like how much... Was she really caring? Like, how much did she just kind of, you know, decide to not, you know, to, to kind of, like, put on the back burner, you know? Like, how much physical pain oh, yeah. was she carrying around that had become normal to her? I mean, the coil thing happened yesterday, right? Yeah, so, so she's still, like, walking around with all of that shit, like, in, you know, yeah. I don't know. And then, like, before the coil, like, there's so much that she has kind of taken on. Yeah in a really short amount of time and she hasn't had the time to kind of i mean i mean the conversation there's multiple conversations with her and brian where brian's just like mad because she isn't taking care of her physical self you know i don't know it just it it seems like a lot yeah uh so then uh taylor approaches brian who is basically um basically not comatose but he you know he's got a thousand um yard stare Mm -hmm. uh and she basically she convinces Aisha to take Brian away to recover. Uh, you know he relived his trigger events probably both in the belly of Echidna that did not go well. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then assuming because uh, and, we mm-hmm. saw that that like Taylor's visions also right were like very like warped and kind of mixed up. I assume that his were yeah, also even worse. Yeah. Really like even more so warped and and kind of mixed up and very nightmarish. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know how such things could become even more nightmarish, but yeah. Yeah, but it's really interesting. Um, I think the conversation that Taylor has with Aisha, um, which I reading your your note, I think it, it does make me like reconsider it. But it still feels as if Taylor has set up. She has given Aisha two options, but has kind of you know set her down on a particular path. So she like she creates something yeah. that feels like a choice, but is actually an order. Yeah, you know. I mean, she goes basically, uh, yeah, you know, um, you could go killing around assassinating. That would be really good. And then, you know, lose out on the field commander, the one that can actually tell people what to do and and stuff. Or, you know, just that that sounds super reasonable. Or you can go and I will stay and lead and, you know, be a pretty good, you know, coordinator and commander. And It almost uh, feels a little trickstery, you know? Like, it almost feels kind of how Trickster would, mm. like, would manipulate people into doing yeah. what he wanted them to do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. That said, in her narration, she does say that she, like, aches to yeah, be with him. That's even true. though she 
she does basically make the decision herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, then the triumvirate ar- arrive, uh, or the rest of them, uh, Alexandria and Legend. Um, Tecton and Taylor talk about leadership styles. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, because Tecton's the epitome like, of, oh, yeah, you know, like, we should trust in, you know, my superior that has this thing. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And, and it's, it's totally I, thrown I for a loop. It's... She, her reaction is very un, unreasonable there because it's not even like the bureaucracy of like it, so the, the moment here is uh, Tecton is trusting that I think Mirden is going to take care of, of Raymancer yeah, or something like yeah, that it make sure that there's like going to a... be medical care so it's not it's not even like uh, some PRT you know random person uh, talking about how best to fight a villain or whatever right mm. it's medical care and it's one of the, it's an individual hero, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It, it really shows how extreme Taylor's pers- perspective is. But I suppose is. also, like, her, like, you, you know, I suppose you don't really think about it quite as much, but, like, she's, like, hyper, hyper micromanager, right? Oh, yeah. Because, like, if she isn't going along to do the thing herself, she will send bugs to yeah, I mean, make sure power, that right? that happens. Her power is to micromanage. Yeah, yeah. so I feel like... To him, he's kind of like, I don't, like, what are you talking about? We have to rely on other people. We have to create this trust. And she's like, I can't do that. I have to make sure that it actually happens. I don't know. It's just very different, very different perspectives. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There was yeah. also a moment that I don't remember where it is. And I don't remember who she nods to. But I, I know that there's a moment around here where she kind of nods in this sort of like silence for acknowledgement where she acknowledged like to herself before we were saying, oh, she lies to herself because she, you know, like in the whole like the whole interaction where um, she was trying to like you know, kind of dictate the the like first aid and all of this um, to her people in like her territory. But like now yeah. she has she's doing she's kind of emulating Marquis in, in this kind of like she knows that she doesn't know. But, like, she doesn't want them to know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I think through this section especially, we really uh, see her using Marquis' strategy of, of silence more and more. Mm-hmm. Not that she got it from him because she hasn't interacted with him Yeah, it's with, very, with like, unknowingly all. parallel. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of moments where she chooses to be silent, especially as we go into uh, Arc 20 and beyond. And during that argument, there's multiple times where she just, like, smiles. Yeah. And that's exactly what Marquis would do, so... Ah, uh, ah then, her smiling. So, ah, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. So then we see Tattletoe's plan, uh, which is to tear a hole in Dimensions using Scrub, the, the kid from the merchants. I'm glad that they've kind of, like, adopted him, because I was kind of worried about him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Huh. Yes. Yeah. Also. So, d- yeah, do you have any comments on Portal so or many Dimensional stuff? But also, I don't know. Um, I really want to know how it works. And, like, the other dimensions, how many other dimensions are there? And, like, are they all different iterations of Earth? You know? And, like, is it just, like, every single moment of, like, are they all parallel? Are they all, like, accessible, you know? Like, is there some that... But then also, like, the ones that don't have humans on them, like, what happened? Or, like, or is there some other planet that has, like, a huge amount of species and they're all, like, under the same genus or, like... You know, how many, intera- like, you know, are there other, other, <laughs> other, you know, ways that evolution went along that suddenly you know, yeah. there's different ways that, that the earth developed and like, you know, I don't know, so many questions, so many questions. None of those were actually what I wrote down. There's other questions about, <laughs> you know, like the places that labyrinth constructs, you know, and like yeah. the pocket dimensions and like those, that little, you know, kind of buckety type thing. 
that I feel like I don't remember if it's I, it's Mirrodin, right? Who can like who like? Yeah, he has yeah, little yeah. pocket dimensions. What is, yeah. what is that? Where is that? You know, like is that accessible? <laughs> and then also, are they gonna like yeah. fuck up the other place? Like they're like, oh yeah, we have all these resources. You know, it's kind of like what we needed Mars to be. Blah blah blah. All of this, you know. But like, are they gonna mess up the other place ecologically or biologically? Like, is there some other pathogen or like? They, I mean, they don't have immunity to whatever is there, right? You know, or what if there's like some other beast that is there that like, you know, could have been, you know, following along the path. Or what if, is there another one that like has the dinosaurs that they didn't get hit by a meteor? I have so many questions. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, it's getting worse. I have, it's just. Huh. Yeah. Yes. These are really good speculations and I would love to see your questions answered. Huh. <laughs> I'm gonna take a sip of coffee. <laughs> that was so yeah, much. No, you didn't. You didn't write down any of no, those. No, I so didn't. I just that was go. just. That's <laughs> all right. Um. So. Uh, yeah. So. So then. Um, Telltale gets into uh, several arguments with with heroes, mm-hmm. mostly baiting them into talking about Cauldron, and uh, it culminates, at least in this moment, with Miss Militia putting, smacking her with with a gun and then putting the gun in her mouth. Um. And, of course, later on, this is echoed with Alexandria putting a hand around her throat when Tattletail is trying to reveal stuff about Cauldron. Oof. Man. Anyways. um, Yeah, it's also, it's it's very interesting because it's so, like, it's very physical, the response to her words. You know, like, Mm -hmm. and that happens previously, right, with Jack cutting up her face and, like, all these heroes are, like, upon her. Like, they're up upon her, right? Physically imposing themselves to silence her. Um, Yeah. Which it's, I mean, she's just, it's, I feel like it proves that whole point about like, you know, the like militaristic ingredient, you know, that's beneath all of our language that, you know, Kenneth Burke is writing about, like, mm-hmm. we're, they're so, we're so close to a physical confrontation every time that we speak, you know? Interesting. I hadn't thought of that point before. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it kind of goes back to this whole thing with you know, accord. I mean, it doesn't really go back to this whole thing, but I, I will bring up accord any time that I possibly can because I love him. <laughs> um, where his like, oh yeah, every yeah, how he's moment, constantly yeah, on like, the verge of violence. Yeah. He's constantly on the urge, on the verge. Man, I can't speak. Yeah, he like he has like his wrecking ball solutions to like every single short term problem. You know, it's like right. this. It's a it's like a gut reaction. You know, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this might be an interesting point here to talk about, and I, I have some more stuff here later about just so so Taylor here and um, at the end of the uh, this arc mm-hmm. is advocating for staying silent, for corruption, for covering up crimes yes. and, yeah. and cultural influence in favor of um, unity and working together to fight the real monsters. Yeah, right? she's being very like political right now. And her, you know, very like, um, it's not Machiavelli, it's like somebody later on where it's like kind of this like, you know, very pointedly, you know, aware of what she needs people to do. It's very, it's very, yeah. it's manipulative, manipulative beyond individuals, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, what I find just, just fascinating is how she criticizes the protectorate for doing stuff like this, for mm-hmm. having cauldron mm-hmm. influence, right? And yet, she's consistently argued in favor yes. of continuing yeah. that stuff. So it's like she sees the argument for it. She's like, yes, this, I mean, it makes sense to do these terrible things because the, the, the end is, is so necessary, right? Yeah. We need to 
cover these things up because we're fighting not only Noel, but we're fighting the Endbringers and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet she's consistently trying to call them out. That's her argument for why the PRT is terrible, right? Yeah, it's very confusing, her actions and words. I guess she, I feel like she justifies the continuing of it and the staying silent and all of that because she's like, we need this until sort of thing. Like she doesn't want Mm. it to, to stay unknown. She just needs it to stay unknown just a little longer, which I feel like is a dangerous road to walk. Um, yeah. Because that could be continuous or like indefinite, you know? Right. Which I feel like, I mean, we don't know what's going on with Legend right now, um, but I feel like he's kind of in that boat. Or at least yeah. the last time we left him, he was kind of in that boat. Right. Yeah. Uh, so then we have um, Blasto's interlude, which is... Um... It's an interlude. It's actually one of my favorites. Um, so we see how he's, um, I think he's Latino. He's, he speaks Spanish, mm, uh, yeah. but he's a, a, a Boston um, biological tinker, mostly with funguses and plants and, and, and animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been invited by Accord, and he now has this, this brilliant lab in Accord's basement. Of course, Accord hates him because he's so messy. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, we see a, a bunch of stuff on how tinkers work as he's narrating out loud. We see how the ambassadors are working, uh, and it's really just super fascinating. And he starts making a pseudo Endbringer, which is probably not the best idea, but yeah. uh, it's it's cool. Whatever. He's like, well, Accord probably thought I would do it, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, until uh. Uh, Bonesaw and another Slaughterhouse Nine um, uh, damsel of distress show up before Defiant kills. Uh, damsel of distress, and uh, Bonesaw gives him the, the offer. You know, help help me um, or no. Blasto accepts his death. Says that no, killing Bonesaw is 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 worth it. Uh, but it's all for naught because she crawls up and using her prehensile spine. Yes. Uh, while Defined is occupied, shoves her prehensile spine down his throat, takes control of his body, and uh, makes her help him. Uh, Makes him help her escape. Yeah. Yeah. Really horrible. Really horrible. That's just... Ah, Bonesaw is, like, so much. She's just... Yeah. All the time. So, so when, we did, when we did How Fucked Up Is That in, I think, episode four, this is one of the moments I was thinking of when I said there are things worse than mm-hmm. Brian's second trigger. To me, this is worse. That is. It's just... Oh. Yeah, especially because he... I mean, he he was ready to die to sacrifice himself for this yeah. right like he's yeah. already like he he came to the the decision mm-hmm. found some nobility in it uh, mentally at least and then it's completely stolen from him and he gets the worst of three worlds he gets the, the bone saw is alive she's not dead and he has a fate worse than death yeah Ugh. or he's not dead is what i meant to say yeah yeah it's terrible yeah you uh copied a section here. oh yes i did well, this was only like a, a lot of a lot of um, Blaster's interlude. I just really liked the way that he thought, yeah, you know, and kind of like the way that he was kind of sorting through things. But um, particularly, I really liked the way that he was um, describing reading through the like the details of the database because he mm-hmm. was he said it was like reading Shakespeare, um, which is this is literally like the best way to describe reading Shakespeare, and mm-hmm. also I don't know just. Do you want to read oh, it? Oh, yes, yes. Do you want to read it out? Um, okay. Uh, it was like reading Shakespeare. 
One could listen to a line and be momentarily baffled, but skimming it or assuming a general foundation of knowledge, uh, it was possible to pick up the gist of the message, the underlying meanings, if not the exact definitions of the individual elements. Um, which I feel like is wonderful and beautiful, and that's how I approach many things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was just it was just like a really interesting description. It was a small thing, but I mm. wanted to be sure to point it out because I liked it. I liked the way that it was written. Definitely. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's very yeah. The, the description of Tinker, how Tinker's work is always, I, I, I very much enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, so then we basically have a giant battle against Noel mm-hmm. uh, that goes on for a couple of chapters. Everyone is working together, and Skitter kind of picks up the slack of. Uh, giving directions and instructions. She actually basically ends up coordinating a lot of the fight. Um, She tries to stick close to Scapegoat uh, via Atlas, and as soon as uh, he's able to transfer those injuries elsewhere, she's immediately into the the thick of it again. Oh, okay, okay. I think that's why I didn't understand the the end bit of Scapegoat, because I was wondering why... Okay, okay, that makes sense, why she kind of Mm -hmm. switched from the area of view into kind of like the thick of everything. Yeah, Weld brought over uh, mm-hmm. the some some clone, I think. Yeah. Also, the image of like Weld just kind of like wading through trying to get people <laughs> is a wonderful image that I feel like is very important to this whole fight. Yeah, yeah, he really is key to it yeah. because he's one of the few that can actually cut people out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the moment that she doesn't have to be careful, she stops being careful, mm-hmm. which is funny to me. Treat yourself like glass until you are back to normal and then go ahead and throw yourself into it (sighs) um and we see some you know cool stuff in here as well i just want to mention right there's that endless cloning uh there's uh chevalier and his cannon blade which is just super cool um and then of course um the the horrible horrible moment when uh that kudzu clone touches noel and suddenly there's four noels which is just the most horrifying oh my god i was so worried about what was going to happen after that it was it, it was real, real bad. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, okay, we're, we're we're barely holding our own against one, and then and then fucking four. Oh, I had to like get up it's and just walk upsetting. around for a bit. I was like, what? How are we going to fix this? Yeah. So in in the process, both uh, Eidolon and Alexandria are are captured, mm-hmm. and um, basically the battle just pauses for a moment just to witness that, and uh, both a yeah a. Anti-Alexandria and then Anti-Eidolon pop out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah, I actually wanted to, to mention here um, that uh, all of the, the the clones actually have names. Uh, if you look at the chapter tags at the bro- at the bottom, um, every single one is 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 named. I think uh, so. I think uh, the Alexandria, the Anti-Alexandria, is Apocrypha, I believe, mm. and the Anti-Eidolon is Ignis Fatus, I think. Um, just thought you might want to know. Also, just like as a side note, that's like, you know, like writing style and like the details, like while those Mm -hmm. details of like, of like filling in all of these, you know, I don't know, just like, it's so wonderful to like see the, the like thoroughness, I think of like authorial, um, world building, you know, cause Mm -hmm. like there's pieces that we don't see of, of authors, of authors like you know ways that like they hold on to details i think and it's just i just really like that about wild and like worm it's just i like that so 
what is like one specific example of what you're talking oh, about? Oh, well, the names, the names of these oh, quotes. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I thought you meant just like description oh, no, no, details. No, yeah, like yes. just like the details of how everything, like what everything is. Like there's there's pieces that that you know authors know about their characters that yeah, I mean they like mm-hmm. they don't tell anybody else, right? Because it's just like something that they hold yeah. on to. But like I don't know, I feel like there's we get pieces of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So uh, I think um, well, one moment that we didn't write down, but uh, so here, uh, Alexandria or the anti-Alexandria Apocrypha and uh, the anti-Eidolon basically give a give a speech to all the assembled heroes, telling mm-hmm. them about Cauldron, telling them that they've all been played for fools and that some of them have bought their powers and that the case 53s were, were bought by Cal- yeah. Cauldron. So basically all of the information's out of the bag. Yeah, it's quite a mess. Yes. Yes, which does not do uh, a lot of good for morale. No, uh, but it's it's okay because at this very last moment, basically, um, all does seem lost. There is potentially an indefinite amount of uh, Adelon and Alexandria clones mm-hmm. being popped out. Who knows? That uh, Taylor steps away, uh, talks to Clockblocker, and gets uh, Noel to charge her. <clears throat> Uh, before Clockblocker freezes the thread and cuts Noel in half. Yes. And he doesn't know the plan beforehand in totality, right? Yeah. Because he's like, why didn't yeah. he get all mad about it later? But it's she does this so often. Like, because she did that, I mean, immediately right after, right? She does that to Sundancer. Is that yeah. she... <laughs> yeah. And when she's talking to Clockblocker, she, she says that she doesn't know why she didn't tell him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it really is, it, yeah. It's it's a good question to ask. I think it's more, something that was not born out of logic in that moment. Yeah. Oh, actually, a thing that I wanted to mention before, uh, she's yeah, she's very much in favor of of not telling people things. When we were talking about blindness, one thing I I had forgotten to say say is that she's just so averse to like admitting weakness. Oh yeah, that absolutely. like I, I I mean, it would be pretty useful for the other heroes and stuff to know. That she's blind, mm-hmm. right? But she doesn't tell them until she doesn't tell them ever. Yeah, I feel like if if Scapegoat hadn't said anything, she would not have. Yeah, shared. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's it, it certainly wouldn't hurt for people that you're working with to know that you're blind. Yeah, yeah. But she she has like such a very specific. She wants everyone to have a very specific image of her and concept, like you know, like um, uh, like perception of who she is and and what she can do. That she's yeah. so very, like, deliberate in the way that she presents herself. Also, before yeah. we get, like, way super far, I want to, like, point out in in the midst of all this fighting, like, she she kind of, like, elects herself to mm-hmm. be doing, like, to be doing the kind of leadership type things, right? Like, yeah. she's the one who kind of, like, steps up and, and you know, s- just begins. Like, she doesn't... I, and I feel like she does that in the midst of battle, deliberately, instead of, mm-hmm. like, kind of having this whole conversation about it because like with her bugs like when she gives these immediate sort of you know instructions people are like oh here's a bit of instruction and i can make this move but immediately yeah. like they're ceding you know kind of control almost over to her because she does that a, like yeah. a very small amount uh, not really like very much at all but like with the leviathan where she just kind mm-hmm. of like inserts herself into like the narrative of things you know what i mean yeah. i mean like she's being helpful and everything but it's always like in the midst of battle, like suddenly she's the one saying. She didn't things. ask anyone, yeah. And everyone's listening. She, she's totally outside the the command structure. Uh, like if she'd asked, "Hey, Miss Militia, can I 
lead on this. She, Miss Militia might say, yes, your power is useful. However, let me stand by you and we'll, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I'll I'll tell you what to, how to coordinate with people. Uh, but, of, of course, that wouldn't be quite as effective. But, yeah, she ends up just making most of the most of the decisions where she can yeah yeah and it's and i feel like like the when she when it does when it becomes her ending up doing this like the heroes just kind of like yield authority because it is like you know in the middle of chaos you know what i mean yeah yeah i don't know it's just very it's very interesting how often she does that yeah yeah so uh, i mean on making decisions for other people so mm-hmm. after uh, Noelle is cut in half, she manipulates Sundancer into killing uh, Noelle and the people that are inside Noelle, although Sundancer doesn't know about it. Um, well, yeah, it manipulates Sundancer to killing people accidentally ag- again Yeah, for like the third yeah. time. Yeah, and, and Sundancer brings it up previously, I feel like, in a conversation. Yeah. I don't think it, it may be in this moment, but also maybe earlier where she's like, I've killed people on accident. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it, it, I mean... The people she's talking about are not the people that Taylor has made her kill. Oh, I don't okay. even know if Sundancer knows about those people. Yeah, see, like, that's terrible. Huh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Sveta feels awful about her body accidentally killing people. <laughs> How should Sundancer feel? Yeah. And I feel like it's just, it's just like yeah. such a, like a, uh, the epitome, I suppose you could say, or like a good example of, mm-hmm. of Skitter, like just kind of prioritizing using people for their like power or for their purpose you know and not mm-hmm. really thinking about the consequences not thinking about the psychological consequences yeah so after that moment uh, that's when the travelers go home because tattletale has created a dimensional portal um she wanted to do it to earth uh aleph which that door is kept open just long enough for uh the the travelers to go home yes. uh, but then she basically um, she, she she is able to get uh, at least for a labyrinth to turn the channel to an empty earth without people, mm-hmm. uh, as as a compromise with the with the heroes who are trying to avoid an interdimensional war. Yeah. Well, I I have a question about mm-hmm. um about the portal. Was was Tattletoe like was her plan to send Noel through it, or was there always a plan to I kill think... Noel and then send people send like the like. How did how did her like tear in the dimensions fit into dealing with Noel? Like, I I think one she wanted to send the travelers mm. home, but also I think her idea was that she could potentially open a door to another dimension, shove Noel through, and then close it. Okay, okay. I think that was another backup plan that thankfully was not necessary. Yeah, because yeah. then it's like you're sticking this poor Noel like upon unsuspecting people. Who don't have yeah. the power. Well, I mean, to... perhaps it could have been an empty earth, just like what the other one. Da- dinosaurs, you know, or tiny bugs. Who knows? <laughs> Poor, Poor tiny, tiny bugs. bugs. Mm-hmm. They could be like bugs, you know, full personality. <laughs> That's very, that is a possibility. You never know, there you know, they earths. might have, you know, other, what if there's another earth that has like, that's like Narnia, where it's like all the animals have like, you know, consciousness and they're able to communicate with each other in language. I like, think... I think the possible Earths is is down is narrowed down to stuff that's physically possible or just like physically like has a has a percentage of of likeliness, and I don't. What? You never know. You never know the evolutionary. You know, that plan. conscious animals. Fucking DNA is the weirdest shit, man. <laughs> like you never know. Yeah, we, we never know. 
<laughs> but okay, uh, so so uh, going back to an earlier point here, mm. um, uh, there's that the talk with uh, Tablet Hill uh, quote about flapping beings all part of a whole and um, oh, hypocritical yes. recklessness and and things oh, like that. Yes, yes. Oh, this whole conversation that I don't remember if it happens. I feel like it happens in the middle of a battle and they like step aside, but I don't. Yeah, they also talk about it after. Yeah, because yeah. they like come back in, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's just. I feel like Taylor is like being hypocritical in this moment because she's like all worried about Tattletale doing all these reckless things, she, yeah, and she's, she's like, like listing what, off on up, her fingers and stuff. Tattletale, you're 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 saying all this this shit. You're getting people pissed off at you. Yeah, and, and stuff. Then, you're you're putting yourself in danger. And then, like literally, like two seconds, you know, ago or before, I don't know. She like is you know she's talking to Noel and is like hey, like, you can kill me, like, it's fine. Like, my team will be fine, you know, take my sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. She has this whole plan, but, like, still, she's, like, placing herself in harm's way also. And she, I don't know, it's just... I mean, yeah, Tattletail's weapon is her words, right? So if she's going to be reckless, it's going to be reckless with her words. Uh, So Arc 19 ends with two interludes, which are quite fascinating. So first we have the first... um, uh, is the Parahumans Online message boards, mm. right? From uh, Greg's perspective of XX Void Cowboy XX, yes. I think. Um, so we we see a the multiple multiple things are happening here, right? We're getting through the course of this, we're we're getting Greg's per- perspective and and you know facts about him and how he deals with stuff, but we're also getting mm. a lot of stuff about how the Echidna incident has disseminated through. Uh, the the world as an aftermath. We're getting um, flashes of uh, just how Brockton Bay is is going and what the perception about Brockton Bay is. Uh, who's been lost? Um, who's getting aid? And the, just a, a very very broad perspective of what's going on. Uh, slight note: um, the uh, there's the the part with a uh, wag the dog and um, getting employed by the undersiders, which is just lovely. Um, oh yes. I don't know if you, she, the one that really really likes bitch thinks that she's super yeah. cool. Do we know who it is? Well, it's I think it's just one of those people that ends up at in oh. Rachel's yes. base later on. Oh, ah, oh, it's very. I, sweet. I I think it's the one that was making the the burgers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, they, actually, you can actually if you if you pay attention to to usernames, you you see a couple things. That I didn't notice until this read through, but the person that replies to. Uh, Wag the dog is Sierra, so I or maybe it's Charlotte. Like did, one of the I two. I feel like I know. I always get them mixed one. up. Um, but other stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. It was interesting mm-hmm. too how they kind of like. I mean, we didn't fully under, like it wasn't like articulated in like an ordery sort of way, but like the way that they set up communication and authority in these groups, like in these online spaces, and and kind of yeah, how they with badges and stuff. how the like material consequences of like receiving and delivering supplies and aid and all of this and kind of how they're kind of creating a digital presence um that can kind of supplement the like material reality of of what's going on in the aftermath i think was really interesting Mm -hmm. especially when you kind of think about um post shatterbirds kind of you know announcement um i think it's really interesting yeah but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, I thought you would really like mm-hmm. this chapter just for the fact that it's a, a different medium yeah. basically. Yeah. Oh, I love this chapter. I also loved it when we we got another glimpse of it when Charlotte was talking in her interlude. We get mm-hmm. a little bit again, but yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh this is the the first reading where I truly hated mm-hmm. Greg, by the way. Uh like I I I think hopefully on every single reading I disliked him 
right? Yeah, yeah. And, and how he conducts himself here. But on this one, I just like, man, he's just a total, I just hate the way he conducts himself online. It's just so gross. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, that's, a, he's not necessarily a, a, a bad person, right? He does feel really bad when Taylor talks to him. Um, uh, it, and what, after he's figured out um, her secret mm-hmm. identity, um, maybe I hate him so much because he's a lot how I was in high school. But ah, <laughs> uh, alas, or the worst parts of how I was in high school. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's a bad dude. Greg. Online anyway. Greg is such a good name for him. Sorry to all the Gregs out yeah, there. But it is. It's only seventy dollars to change your name. Just saying. <laughs> Um, um, oh, the last little factoid before we go on. Um, G-String Girl, which is the the person that Greg is talking mm-hmm. to, is Feta. Yes, which is very interesting. And I kind of want to mm-hmm. go back and reread both of those just so I can, like, have a glimpse of them again. For sure. It, that, you know, she's talking about um, my parents are really strict. Mm-hmm. My sister's coming on. Um, so I, I have to give up the computer. Um, I, I can't send the picture and I don't want to explain why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think she's in. She's tagged at the bottom, I believe. So. Oh man, I really need to like look at these tags. Apparently so. I, I've never done it except for the times where I've been told to. Oh so. yeah, yeah. I think I just get wrapped up in the reading. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, following that, we have Emma's interlude, yes. which uh, is rather significant. It is. Um, so we see uh, her and her father being attacked by members of the ABB and rescued by Shadowstalker. It's this really extremely traumatic event. Uh, it really worries us as we're reading it actually but um in the aftermath she attaches herself to her savior and um her in, in shadow stalker's ideology mm-hmm. right of the binary of predator and prey and, and yeah. stuff and she reshapes herself into someone into um that that sophia would approve someone who is strong in the aftermath she really her identity is kind of constructed as not taylor not victim yes. taylor yeah um and and we see um how she bullied Taylor, among other things, uh, finishing off with her moving back to Rockton Bay and uh, seeing Taylor with her dad, who is now very different. And she uh, recalls her conversation with Sophia, the one that just happened and the one very long time ago. Um, on this brutish little planet of ours, it's the survivors who are the strongest yeah. or something like that anyway. Yeah. I don't know. It's that The, the conversation between them two, um, when she's, she goes to visit her in Juvie, I think is... Is I don't know. It's just really sad. I think because she has internalized the way that Sophia thinks so much that she is like very much ready to just kind of ditch her when she is when she doesn't fit the definition that she was. You know, mm-hmm. like so often, like she has, she has created her like for herself these expectations of how to act, how how to conduct mm-hmm. herself, and she's like very. You know, we watch her kind of very deliberately cut out all those moments where she she could have made the choice that would take her away from this. You know, like we see those vestiges of her past self, right? Create outs in every single critical moment. And every time she chooses not to do that, she chooses the thing that's, that will continue to, you know, kind of keep her down the same path. Yeah. 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 Through through all that, every time we see those like question moments where she reconsiders, we just see how incredibly fragile her construction of her defenses mm-hmm. are. Yeah. She continually says to herself that she's going to fake it until it's real, but it never becomes yeah. real. Um, except faking it also is real, right? All the terrible things she's doing is an actual... It, she really is a bully, yeah, right? Yeah, she's no. not faking it. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, her conviction... Her conviction is so mixed, you know? 
because like her actions her actions dictate her mentality but then also like her mentality doesn't fully reflect her actions or her actions don't fully reflect her mentality like yeah. so she's kind of stuck in this sort of she's stuck in a positive feedback loop aha <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, I don't know why i got so excited about that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i don't know it's just i mean it gives us more understanding of why she so very deliberately like cut out the like before right of being friends with taylor and everything yeah. and the after of it and so it doesn't seem quite as like out of left field instead instead of just like yeah. waking up in middle school and being like i don't want to be friends with this person anymore yeah um yeah but i don't know still is really yeah, rough it is. though it's really sad kind of yeah all around yeah. both of them both both her and sophia's interludes i think were really difficult to kind of mm-hmm. you know parse through i think yeah just because like both of them are so stuck in that mentality that they've kind of created this very like very limited way that they can react Mm -hmm. yeah so uh we this chapter is very well placed because um the next arc is arc Mm -hmm. 20 chrysalis in which taylor goes to high school and is revealed as skitter so we begin with taylor at home with her father getting ready to go out and accomplish many things in the day um you wrote here fitting into her body very differently Uh, yes well okay so first like the first glimpse we see of her in this kind of like way that she's uh, like occupying herself um, or inhabiting herself. Right, she's I would very. Say. Um, we see it. Uh, Disney princess. Disney princess. Yeah, Disney princess because she's you know having breakfast or she's uh you know brushing her teeth and oh. stuff, and all her bugs are flying around <laughs> carrying her things for her oh, and I didn't generally even just think being, about that. you know like like she sings to the animals and they they oh, do her first for her. That's very true. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about like mm-hmm. how she like you know inhabits her body like she's more like she's more like confident i think in herself because mm-hmm. she has things to do and you know like you know she's making plans and taking names or whatever the phraseology is you know she's <laughs> she she isn't she isn't the person that she was in high school you know like she has she yeah. has more control over herself and and her self image i think or like the things that she doesn't mm-hmm. examine are not like the the top of the list isn't isn't like thinking about you know how others you know physically perceive her like she's out there like you know kind of not thinking about murder and you know etc villainy but like mm-hmm. i don't know it's just like a very different way that she it's she she's in a very different place i think when when we have like we're resuming this oh, kind yeah. of like high school type you know encounter she's just very different yeah i mean this this is definitely a reflection from that first chapter of arc two mm. where uh yeah they're <clears throat> having breakfast together yeah. i think it was just it became so stark to me like in the moment that we see her from emma's perspective where she's like you know helping her dad doing box like moving boxes etc and then now she's kind of like mm-hmm. getting things done and we're you know we're like beginning the day and she has all this stuff and she's like i don't know it's just very it's very stark contrast i think mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so he asks her about school and she tells him that she's not planning on going and he disagrees with that, but he feels that he can't really do anything about it. And uh, he's lamenting that. She says that I'll let you have a say. And that actually just ends up hurting him more um, before they promise to meet up yeah, for lunch. That was that conversation was like, I mean, at one point, like she kind of I mean, she's left home, right? She's like left home and like done her thing. And like she has a whole like, you know, other life, right, that she's doing she's dealing with and managing so like it's understandable but it, i don't know from his his perspective i think like they don't have they don't he doesn't have authority anymore no matter how much mm-hmm. she says he does 
And like it's she doesn't even have to she doesn't even have to articulate what she articulates this I'll let you have a say in what I do in my life to that like that sentiment is already there, you know. Right. Um which I feel like is what makes it so much worse because I mean the whole time like every time that we see him she has that you know conversation in her mind of like am i going to continue to let him be in my life like am i going to continue like mm-hmm. this am i going to you know sort of reconcile not reconcile have a have a sort of reconciliation i suppose in this relationship like do i want to con- to maintain what had been you know mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. She's the one choosing what to keep and what not to keep. Yeah. I think that was why I was so surprised that we began this arc with her at home. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we saw her in Emma's thing, but like, she just, I I guess I didn't expect her to like, go back and stay at home, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, where we left off, they were just starting to, just starting to um, interact. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, but yeah, oh. so I'm sorry, I didn't read what I had mm-hmm. written down, but that's totally true. My thing that I wrote, I want to bring it up because it's important. Um because even <laughs> even ahead. in those all of this like change and stark difference and all of this, you know, she's different and he's different and they have all this like baggage. Um the power dynamic of these two is is kind of it's almost not different than where we began. Yeah. Because she wasn't sharing yeah. details of her life with her in in that moment as well, you know. I mean, now it's like she's you know, like ruling ruling the city instead of you know getting bullied, but like both both are sort of like driven by shame or like fear of how he's going to react or like how to deal with the new reality that she creates by giving him this information. Um, so I suppose it, it while while the the reasons bet- behind their interaction are different, I think the way they interact is still sort of the same. Right. Yeah. 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 She still doesn't have super meaningful interactions right between the two of them just because there's so much that she can't talk about i mean it's a step in the right direction right they're actually in physical contact proximity (laughs) yeah um but as we you know especially as we see in arc 22 he is very very estranged yeah he doesn't but it's also it's been so long like it's it she hasn't for a while told him things you know yeah yeah yeah. So she goes to deal with trouble in her territory. Um, there's some uh, thugs that stole from uh, this this Christian couple. The Christian couple asks her to be lenient to the attackers. Uh, so she tells them to go to the cops. And when they don't immediately go to the cops, she uh, stings them with bullet ants and then terrorizes them on their way. <sighs> and when the Christian couple's up- upset with that, she tells them that she was lenient. Oh, Skitter. She's just... I, don't, I feel I feel like this goes back to her old her whole deal where she's like she like likes to have things done her way, you know? Yeah. And so she like I mean she placates the people that she's helping, but like I don't know, she 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 has very specific things that she thinks need to happen and specific ways to carry them out, I think, you know. Very true. If she doesn't budge. Yeah. She doesn't budge. Um She just like them. makes yeah. the demands into something that she wants to do. Yeah. Yes. So then Charlotte informs her that Greg um, has been making noise at Arcadia. He's been asking around for mm-hmm. her. And so now she has to deal with that because it has potential to blow up into something yes. bigger, which it ends up doing. Uh, when she gets there, there's a very notable divide between those who stayed and those who returned, quote, <laughs> as you wrote, all shiny and new. Um, she ends up finding Greg and basically manipulates him or gaslights him or just pretty... Uh, harshly rebukes yeah. him 
and makes him think that he was completely wrong and stalkery and yeah. yeah it was it's a it's a really like rough moment in in that where because she also has the moment like she has a thought that she feels like emma in that moment doesn't mm-hmm. she i feel like i feel like i wrote that down not in here but like when i was yeah, reading yeah that I, she's, she's I almost like note, taking um yeah where she like very clearly i mean like i haven't brought it up yet but like very very much so throughout this whole book she's paralleling herself against all, all these people that she has interacted with and mm-hmm. almost kind of gone like head to head most of the people that she does it are like you know her like enemies or whatever um but i feel like in this moment she kind of she she makes a note and and i feel like that's why she feels bad is because in greg she sees her past self and like her mentality back then and now she's kind of yeah she she is in a position of power and while she feels bad about what she's doing she which is interesting because like even unknowingly she becomes she she echoes emma even more so because she has that she sees that (laughs) what she's doing just like emma sees what she's doing but she still does it yeah yeah at at the very least uh in this she's not necessarily blaming greg yeah for being a victim so she's kind of mad that he like is disrupting her day she's like i'm just like i love the entire time anytime she interacts with someone and they like fuck shit up or like mess things up or you know um delay her she's like i'm just trying to go to lunch yeah you know it becomes kind of her like um theme or whatever for the arc but <laughs> it's very it's a I guess that's true. But um just wanted to have lunch yeah, with her yeah. dad. Just wanted to reconnect with my dad, but oh, no. I have to deal with all of this. Pulled her apart. Um I, mm-hmm. I think also um in terms of like why she feels bad about Greg is that uh he isn't he isn't like an immediate like physical threat. You know, he's not a parahuman, he's not he's not somebody who is is like she's not having a fight, you know, she's not a, having a physical fight, she's not having to, you know, intimidate in order to prevent like physical altercation you know like she just kind of it's i don't know like it's a different sort of confrontation yeah yeah so taylor uh then heads home but she's not able to dodge emma who confronts her on the way out uh taylor is seemingly uncaring uh to the pettiness of emma's anger but uh emma escalates she says some pretty awful stuff uh, says that Taylor uh, is responsible for her mother's death, and at the very least, that her father uh, blames her for it. Um, but Taylor's uh, "I don't care" attitude is so effective that Emma, Emma eventually escalates to hitting her, and then the system uh, finally decides to punish her. Um, she's they go to the principal's office, and uh, Taylor uh, pushes um, the consequences on Emma, and uh, but then she finds out that this is all. Because the principle is corrupt. Yeah. And she very, like, I, I don't know, she still holds that same sort of, like, you know, discontempt. Or, no, not discontempt. Contempt. For for the fact that mm-hmm. the system is still corrupt. Even if it is beneficial to her, she's still kind of like, well, that's dumb. Like, it should work because, you know, we're seeking justice, not yeah. because of any sort of, like, particular biases. Um, right. Also, as a total side note, but is very related, um, she, like... Uh, Taylor thinks through and like reflects upon. She takes like a second to sit there and like think through the fact that her father like blames her for her mother's death. Mm-hmm. Like she like very like s- like coldly like systematically like thinks like like pinpoints all these moments that could like corroborate that. Yeah, which is like a a really 
you know, kind of jarring thing, I think, to happen in the middle of this fight. But then yeah. she... I mean, yeah, Emma does... That yeah. hits home. But then she, like, still remains... I mean, to us, she seemingly remains calm and collected and cool and cold and all of this very calculated, you know, all of those, like, exact, precise C words. But, um, I don't know. She... The way that she's presenting the narrative, I think, is not what actually is occurring. Yeah, it's it's I think. interesting because over and over and over again, she says, I don't care. I, you know what? I, I'm even surprised that I don't care, right? But I think she does. I mean, she sticks around the conversation. She takes delight in having some good comebacks and getting a reaction out of Emma. Uh, she, she is getting really pissed off, right? Yeah. Really, really pissed off, right? It's showing off in her bugs. Mm-hmm. And she chooses to stay so that Emma receives consequences. She... And then later on, she scares Emma with a centipede, right? I don't think that means that she doesn't care. Yeah, like, like the the indifference that I think moving beyond this would entail would just be to walk away. You know, like, she still yeah, holds just on to, to that. dodge like, around her or something. That kind of desire to, like, see this to the end of it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But it's also... That said, this confrontation is is viscerally satisfying to someone um, rooting for Taylor. That's very true. Yeah, and rooting for the downfall of Emma. Yeah, we've kind of like been waiting since the beginning for this mm-hmm. to occur, and so yeah. we're kind of like ah, you know, like now that she's in this place. Um, oh yeah. Um, I was thinking, looking at this versus like um, how she reacts to Sophia, like learning about Sophia and as as Shadow Sucker, and then like you know. Um, when they go and seek her out and, you know, like, have, have Regent, have, like, the Undersiders go and seek Shadow Sucker out and put her under Regent's control. In this confrontation, she doesn't have the same sort of, like, visceral, you know, you know, kind of, uh, satisfaction, I guess, of, I mean, there is satisfaction, there is this kind of, like, you know, revenge sort of feel, but, like, it's not as, it's, she's not as connected to her emotions i think as like Mm -hmm. after the leviathan um after you know the whole hospital scene and then they go like the undersiders get get shadow soccer and like that whole conversation and that whole you know like section i would say um of interactions between those two um those are much more like charged i think because her her emotions Mm -hmm. are so much closer to the surface in in that earlier interaction than what's happening right now with emma because like i think to her, she mm-hmm. feels cold and disconnected and sort of indifferent because she has, like, she, I mean, you know, at this point, she's kind of been not processing her emotions for, like, a while. You know what I mean? Like, she kind of, she, and she has yeah. been practicing that, that compartmentalization to an extreme that I think, even in the moment that she's feeling, like, that resentment and anger in the fight and, like, ready, that, you know, kind of readiness to exact revenge, all of this, I think... That, that, you know, is manifested in the bugs and that sort of thing. I think because she she is so, like, kind of disjointed almost in her, in her like, emotional life, I think I think mm-hmm. that's why she kind yeah. of depicts it as being cold. Yeah. Yeah. That she just is really good at not paying attention mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after uh, the confrontation with Emma, uh, basically she's... Uh, the, the the school goes on lockdown as she has just been uh, found out that she is Skitter, right? Taylor and Skitter mm-hmm. are the same person. She's eventually chased to the uh, cafeteria where 
uh, Dragon and Defiant show up and, and confront her. Uh, so they, they reveal her civilian identity um, under duress and in front of the entire school. Emma has just found out that Taylor is Skitter, the ruler of Brockton mm. Bay. Uh, and they have this long, drawn-out uh, conversation where uh, she's trying to ask them why they decided to do this. Why are they doing it here? Yeah. And uh, th- th- this conversation is is really, really deep. It's it's kind of hard to cover every single thing in it. But um, yeah, a lot happens here. A lot does happen. But I feel like something very notable um, that occurs in, in the moment that she is, you know, kind of revealed to be um, Skitter is that her first, like, thought and how to deal with this situation is she's like, who 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 walks around unmasked um but still is able to kind of conduct himself in a manner of authority right and she's like jack slash and so she pulls on his like image and confidence in the way that he embodies space or like uh, inhabits space actually not inhabits he would be one that occupies space right um and she kind of like prepares herself by putting on kind of emulating him you know what i mean Mm-hmm. And it's a very like strangely conscious decision. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's I don't know. Her all of all of the parallels are so fascinating to me, but this particular one especially because she like immediately assesses the situation and sets it up like physically sets up the setting so that she has both control but also seems like she does not have control. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 She she repeatedly puts herself in the most vulnerable yeah. position because she knows that she's already in a vulnerable mm-hmm. position so it doesn't really she's not sacrificing that much but she's able to portray herself in 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 a different way because of it yeah yeah well she actually gains an advantage by appearing more vulnerable yeah also it's sorry i this is this is like only like mm-hmm. a small bit of Go this because there's like so much to talk about in this particular scene um but the fact that like clock blocker who has not seen her face only mm-hmm. recognizes her but has spoken yeah, to he's her. spoken to her and he only recognizes her when she grins is just like so interesting yeah um which i don't know like i just that's so interesting to me i because she she commands attention in such an interesting i don't know i i don't i don't have words for it but i want to see this scene so yeah. badly in a visual and auditory format Ugh. yeah and, and it's such a such a climactic moment mm-hmm. right where uh we just came off of a you know a very violent arc, but we're we're getting back into it. But we just came off of the super emotional high, uh, first uh, escalating with Greg, and then going sky high with Emma. Yeah. Uh, and then we're in just this mess of of feelings, knowing that Dragon doesn't want to do this, knowing that Dinah recommended it, knowing that her identity has been revealed, um, and, and all the consequences around that. And yeah, it's just this. And she's like, she doesn't react to it in the way, like... She she intentionally doesn't react to it with Dinah, yeah. All of it, like, this whole whole sequence where she just kind of, like, decides, well, this is how it's going to be now, um, is, which to me seems, like, very overwhelming. But to her, she's just kind of like, this is another one of those things where she's just kind of, like, placed it in a box and is like, okay, Mm -hmm. now we're going to keep moving forward. Yeah. 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 Uh... So she she gives her her speech and um, at the end her underside of renown and the tales of I'm I'm reading from your uh, uh, yes. writing here, um, tales of the teens in the city combine into a whole crowdsourced escape plan. Uh, parentheses 
very Area 51, comma, we're all sick because we're gay, comma, bugs life, comma, strike sort of way. (laughs) End parentheses. She gets out because some some of the students stand with her against Dragon and Defiant. Uh, The last vestige of Taylor is gone now, and her father knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting... uh... Yeah, do you do you want to real quick uh, explain all the things all in the my... parentheses? Okay, I, I, the only one I recognize is Bugs Life, and I don't know what you're calling out about Bugs Life with the with the like crickets or you know or the grasshoppers. You uh-huh. know, they're like yeah, yeah. The whole scene where the guy he's like explaining about you know we got to make sure that they don't all gather up together because then they will beat us, and then they do. They all gather up together, all the ants, and they beat the grasshoppers. You know. Because they all, like, work together, you know, crowdsource. And then, like... It's been a very long time since I watched oh. Bugs Life, but I'll take your word for it. I don't... I, 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 don't, I don't think I've seen it. Oh, maybe I did see it recently. I don't know. It's, like, this whole mentality of, like, striking, you know, like... Mm-hmm, yeah. You yeah. know, uh, you, you never cross a picket line sort of thing where it's, like, everybody's working together. Right. And then, like, the Area 51, you know, that whole... You know, that that was a few months ago, right? Where everyone... Was like, let's make a plan to go. Oh, to Area so you're 51. talking about like real life Area 51, yeah. not yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that was last year. Last year. Who knows? Time is irrelevant. Yeah. And also Unbound. Yes. <sighs> and then, uh, um, and then, yeah. I don't remember which uh, European nation it was, but there was some European nation that made it. Like they, they made it legally. Oh yeah, it's a Norwegian country where being gay was was like a, a, like a medical uh, condition actual like, like a, a, yeah, a yeah mental illness yeah. And so people and were so like calling everybody. in sick saying that yeah. they're gay um which i feel like happened in the 70s in my head but Sounds i don't remember right. anyway so all of it was you know, know like everyone uh, working together to get something done yes everyone yeah. working together right um what i what i find really interesting here is that it's not just like a, a portion right there's there's a there's a part there where uh taylor basically uh, um that calls it out of like she d- didn't know what she was, would expect. She did, like a, a slow rising or just like a couple people or mm-hmm. all at once, mm-hmm. and then it's like two thirds of the people yeah. there, right? Or so it's basically every single person that stayed in Brockton Bay stands up on yeah. on her side. Yeah, and and yeah, well, it's it's important to note because like the the mentality of people like this is this is like the first ish day, right? This is the first day of. Of returning to high school right so they've been like yeah they've been living this life you know dealing with you know the prt dealing with the local warlords and like dealing with all of these things that have been happening to the city without the guarantee like without the the knowledge and control that comes or not really control but like the the like you know knowledge of being one of the people that is making things happen they're just kind of watching it happen right and they mm-hmm. haven't really had control over what their situation is right and this i feel like offers a a modicum of control over their their bodies and and lives um Mm -hmm. yeah they're finally able to do some this is one of the few places in the i mean really the entire story where the like the common the non-parahumans actually are able to like make a choice in something that affects parahumans yeah I, i i don't know i just i really liked this scene um, but then, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Additionally, I think it is important to note that this again, we're returning to Skitter using the guarantee of non-lethality against mm-hmm. Dragon. Yeah, it's like the third time or something. Defiant, because yeah. like the way that Dragon and Skitter seem to interact, there's a lot of that, right? Where where Skitter's like manipulating Dragon in that sense of like 
using the non-lethality, you know, policies. I, I think it's actually, I think it's the third time she uses, uh, like, the reputation of heroes against a fight. And the yeah, third she, time that time she that uses interact, it's not always a killing crowd. people against dragons. Mm-hmm. Because just just to run through it, so um, Armin's master, right? There's a part at the uh, the 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 dinner, yeah, the right? The, the fancy dinner that they crashed. Then there's the hospital, mm-hmm. and then there's here. Mm-hmm. And then with Dragon, there is uh, when they raided the uh, wards HQ, and then when they took down the uh, when she took down the Azazel, yeah. and then here as well. So two two three beats going down here uh, with uh, Taylor just being very manipulative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also, it's fascinating, yeah. too, because both of those two are, like, their whole, like, one of their things is to analyze the way that, like, that people fight, right? But then they fall mm-hmm. into the same patterns with her over and over again. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. I'm, I'm very Possibly because fasc- it's not that's fighting. That's very true. That's very true. Um, yeah. I'm excited to see how they interact, all three of them. Oh yeah, because we we finish with a interaction with them yeah. in arc twenty two uh, at the end. Yeah. Um, so th- this this section here ends with uh, all those teens, right? The 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 few ones that are walk with her um, out, the the ones that are left, they basically tell her all the mm-hmm. reasons that that they stuck with her. All those people that she's helped, but refused to let herself feel like she's helped. And it's this really emotional moment, and I, I get emotional reading it too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. As they as they tell her why they're thankful, why they decided to to stand up for her. Yeah, yeah. I really liked this this arc a lot, and especially this moment. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after arc twenty, we have uh, the reporter interlude mm-hmm. from Stan's perspective. Also, I want to point out that um, the interludes of the audiobook are so so good so good this is another one of the excellent ones I don't, did you did you listen to the yamato one i no i kind of need to i well when i get reading okay. the yamato one like the can't uh stop. the the parahumans online one this interlude uh, the the reporter interlude those three in particular and i'm sure there's others that but the, these are the ones that stand out in my mind are just just brilliant yeah. they're just so so well done they like um th- this one in particular whenever they uh go from um like one scene and then it like shifts into like a tv in another scene mm-hmm. right like you can hear like static start coming ah. in and it sounds more like it's on tv yeah. it's just very well done yeah um so anyway, uh, Stan goes and looks into the school affair. He talks a little bit about Guan Xi, the uh, practice of uh, being able to call someone up for a favor after many years. Um, talks to students, oh, yeah. including Greg, uh, and centers the story around the student support of Taylor. Uh, the implications of uh, her leading the city and the PRT's ineffectiveness as it, quote, is like collapsing or disintegrating like that that kind of language is used over and over yeah yeah uh so then we see the perspectives of, of many people um many different basically everyone that would would care about mm-hmm. this right uh danny um walks watches in shock and dismay shadow soccer freaks out after learning about yeah. taylor <laughs> Skitter, she, and juvie she, like knocks out the um, tv the, doesn't she yes yeah. yes yeah rather aggressive move uh, the PRT is very worried about what's going to happen. Um, you wrote uh, with what? Uh, what are with Intel? Groups? Oh, international groups. International groups who are like, hmm, that's what you wrote. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we end this chapter with uh, 
a perspective from the nine as they prepare to make many, many, many copies of themselves. Oh, Oh, I'm so worried about them. But also, I'm so excited because that means they're definitely coming back. Mm -hmm. Ah, I shouldn't be so happy about that. that, Like, it'll be a mess, I know. But they're just such fun in like a twist, you know? Mm -hmm. Anyways, we don't need to dwell upon that. Ah. But the, yeah, I'm, yeah, we'll talk about that when that mm-hmm. happens. Yes. Um, oh, but I wanted to mention especially like a lot of the like media related bits of like this interlude and like because we we follow, you know, Stan the reporters, you know, kind of his story throughout everyone else watching it. Right. And and then like mm-hmm. with the parahuman on parahumans online, you know, message boards and Charlotte, like I really like where we get kind of a glimpse of everybody um, just like in, in terms of like writing style or device i don't know i don't know if it's a style or device of like like kind of following the thread as it kind of like you know as a watersheds that those are two metaphors that don't fit together but um (laughs) i don't know i think it it works really effectively for us to kind of like get a sense of what's going on on the outside um Mm -hmm. yeah 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 Yeah. kind of like fills out the sort of like kaleidoscope sort of thing Mm -hmm. yeah i i think this this chapter is very effective at showing us everything that's that's relevant mm-hmm. to this basically yeah so we get a, a second interlude then from accord uh who you've written the man whose immediate problem solving skills involve a lot of killing but long-term plans are for fucking ending world hunger and solving all the world world's emergencies uh, he comes to brockton bay because of the portal um and has to put up with the undersiders to gain access he's in cahoots with cauldron and needed coil to do something and um, now is working with the undersiders. Yeah, well, it seems like he sort of, like, transferred his expectations and Cauldron's expectations of mm-hmm. Coil onto the undersiders. Um, mm-hmm. Also, he's just... I really love him a lot. He's I know, that's tall. so great. That's so great. Ah, I'm getting so excited about it, but I need to calm down if I'm going to explain everything. <laughs> but, yeah, he's just... He's so fascinating, Especially because, like, he makes all these, like, really, like, 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 he has bound books and sent them off, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, he, I don't know, it's just, he's both, like, very aware of how everything is working, but then also, like, I mean, he's not naive about it, but, like, he has that sort of, like, 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 optimism in his books mm-hmm. that he has made that solve all the problems. Yeah. And, <sighs> but at the same time, he's, like, really kind of stuck in the way that he's thinking, like, it, it, you know, it's, it, I don't know. Ah, ah, yeah. Sorry. I just, I really <laughs> yes. like him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's one of my, my favorite characters to read about. He's just so interesting. And I want to see what his plan is for ending. World I know. Conquer. I want to read these books among that he has things. made. Yes. Uh, yeah. And he has this, he has this, he has a mental illness that just makes it very, very, very difficult not to be a murderous mastermind. Yeah. Like I almost don't blame him for murdering people. Yeah. No, like if, uh, if. There's so many, like, his intrusive thoughts are, like, like physical and visceral and so intense. Yeah. Very yeah, sensory. Yeah. Mm. And also, there's two things. There's two things that I really liked in this particular interlude that kind of have to do with Accord, but, like, aren't. They're, like, um, when when Taylor was, when Skitter was explaining, right, in their, like, meeting, um, she, like, made this list, this kind of hierarchy of, like, who would kill him for retaliation. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think. Actually, it wasn't him. It was somebody else, wasn't it? Was it? No, it wasn't. It was him. Um, where she kind of like makes this list of like how painful his death will be based on who's gonna kill him, 
and it was just very visceral. I must, I, I'm going to read it out, if that's all right. Um, Go ahead. If you're lucky, Imp slits your throat with you none the wiser, or Regent has one of your underlings stab you in the back, and you go quick. If you're unlucky, Bitch's dogs tear you to shreds, and it's a long, drawn-out, painful process. If you're very unlucky, you get the worst of both worlds, and you deal with me. Which is just, whew, what a, what a like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just so funny that she's, like, made this list. Yes. Yes. I wonder if she pre-prepared yeah. that. I don't know. I mean, at this point, right, this is, like, immediately after she's been kind of, like, she's decided to be fully skitter and, you know, supervillain. She's embraced all yeah. of her villainy. Also, the, the school thing, I think, was earlier in the day yeah. or, like, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. so she's, like, still kind of, like, she hasn't processed it yet. She's just kind of, right. she's made her, like, you know, decision where she's just going to toss out those those inhibitions that she had. And she has plans, you know, that she's not telling anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. And then another, we were talking about words, like, a while ago, about words that we like. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was thinking, you know, I, I wrote small potatoes, you know, because it was just the, you know, phraseology of it. But uh, his, the, his description of, of um, Citrine's, like, face as, like, a décolletage. Is that how you pronounce it? I do not know, uh-huh. but I like it. This uh-huh. phrase, this particular word. very I like it a lot. Yes. Okay. Do you have, like, the definition of it? I th- well, I think it's just her face that I... I think Does it, it mean more? I thought it was, like, the, the stuff that's on her face. But maybe I'm wrong. It's yeah. The, the décolletage is the yeah, uh, low neckline on a woman's dress or top. Wonderful. See, <laughs> words are just great. I knew I liked it. <laughs> it is a pretty good word. Thank you, French people. Yes. Uh, okay, so then we have uh, Arc Twenty One Imago mm-hmm. or Imago. I don't know how that's pronounced. Wherein the skitter makes plans and visits everybody just to you know check in. Uh, so she's very aggressive in this meeting with the Accord and the Fallen and the Teeth, uh, laying out the reality of what's going to happen. Then the Undersiders have a chat about it afterwards, um, considering their options, this new post-Taylor uh, identity situation, and uh, confront Parian about not being fully bought into the Undersiders. Yeah. People, it's, it's, um, it seems like they, she's kind of like a pulling, she's pulling the kind of a regent tattletale imp sort of thing where like they all decided together that they were going to like um that they were going to use shatterbird or like i don't remember the particular moment where they were talking i don't know the one the moment where she like she gets all mad that they didn't tell her but it wasn't about the morality Mm -hmm. i feel like that's what happens here is that like she didn't tell them that she was going to be super aggressive and they were kind of mad about that part Mm -hmm. of it and like having to deal with that bit but they weren't i feel like they would not have been as mad if she had explained her reasoning but then to explain her reasoning she would have to like talk about everything and She's not, she, yeah, she's, she, hates she's, she doesn't need to explain to other people. She just needs to expect them to understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's Taylor. But the, the thing that was particularly notable about this conversation uh, with Parian is that the way that Tattletail speaks to her is very much how, like her interaction is very much like Taylor in like the way beginning, you know, where, yeah, where Tattletail is kind of like, we need to kind of, you know, um, uh, subsume you I don't know, like take you in i suppose like you know the like like a mitochondria you know like take take them into this like group right and she needs to like fit in uh-huh um but she hasn't like opened up emotionally and like vulnerably right, and right. she's kind of like not very violent which seems to be kind of yeah. a prerequisite for this group um yeah <laughs> but i feel like it's very notable that it's tattletale doing this you know because she kind mm. of 
she has been the glue of the group, I think. You know, like, she mm-hmm. she recognizes those emotional bonds immediately. And, like, she knows how she, like... Because yeah. Taylor, I don't think if if she didn't have... If she didn't work really hard at making sure to do those things, I don't think she would, you know? Because she's yeah. the one who was like, Taylor, we're going to be friends, you know? And then she's like, you should go yeah. hang out with Brian. Yeah, Lisa's not, like, the heart, but maybe she's, like the vascular system or the nervous system just a network of Mm -hmm. connections and like holding on to people yeah yeah she like she sets things in motion so that they are closer you know yeah 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 and so with with taylor becoming increasingly aggressive you also see tattletale uh get increasingly concerned Mm -hmm. as things go but never actually putting down a foot and saying taylor seriously stop yeah, it is very interesting. She says that she's concerned, but there's never any... Yeah. Which, does that... Is that... Do you think it's because she doesn't feel like she has that sort of authority over Taylor at this point? Or is it because she feels like she knows that there maybe is going to be something that is going to happen and she can't affect it? I don't know. I feel like she could try a little harder. Yeah. I think she just really doesn't want to hurt Taylor's feelings. She she never wants to hurt Taylor's yeah, feelings. Yeah. Well, it's the whole thing of, like, she feels... She wants to, like, make sure that she doesn't have a repeat of, like, her brother. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Tattletail, Rachel, and Skitter go attack the PRT headquarters, where they confront Tag. Uh, he basically describes how he's uh, he's not a winner. Mm-hmm. He's a scrapper. He's going to keep fighting, uh, even if he's losing. Uh, he's going to sacrifice everything just to give his enemy a bloody, a bloody nose. And um, that's his uh, justification for revealing mm-hmm. her identity, because this isn't a game, little girl. This is a war. Um, so he doesn't play by the rules, even though he holds the same things untouchable for the other side. And um, Taylor, j- just to prove some kind of point, at least mm-hmm. for herself, she uh, pretends to attack his wife, but then doesn't. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't really do anything to him, because... He knows that she's a full-fledged villain yeah. either yeah. way. He's, like, already decided who she is. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this whole conversation is really, I don't know, like, and Tag does a lot of, like, psychological, you know, um, attrition, I would say, um, in his, yeah. in his you know, kind of attack upon her is that he does a lot of, of defining her in ways that she would not define herself, right? So he, like, calls her a little girl and he belittles her and all this. Like, later on, he calls her... He's like, you're not... You're not somebody's kid. You're not... Like, I don't care about that. You're a thug. This sort of thing where it's like... Yeah. He has... He has made her into something that is only, like, a piece of her, I think. So, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so that his... His, you know, understanding of her can't... He has limited himself to understanding her in, in that, like, smaller capacity... Which, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a mental. That's like a technique of people who are in war or whatever. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I feel like the sparing of his wife is is her her way almost of kind of like replaying and like reliving that the whole like interaction she has with the mayor and how she kind of like fucks that part up where she like mm-hmm. almost kills Triumph and all of that. I feel like this is that in this moment after she has decided to become a fully-fledged villain, that she's kind of told herself that she will be, um, you know, that she's going to do 
all this. She's going to be that very aggressive. She like she's going to do all these things. She she has set up a test for herself to make sure that she still has the capacity to hold back. You know. Yeah. 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 It, it's more mm-hmm. for herself than anyone else. And Tattletale says 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 as much. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So how do you feel about Tag in particular? Um, he's interesting because he comes off as a total asshole, yeah. right? And especially from Taylor's perspective, it's really hard not to have that feeling about him. But also, he's not entirely wrong. Um, like she, they did take yeah, over a city, yeah. and like, what what is someone's identity to taking over a city, right? Yeah, that's very true. Um, and it, I mean, eventually, he's we you know we find out that he's mostly wrong because he talks to Dinah, and Dinah, as a precog, is almost certainly right that you know, uh, just taking Taylor in in the most direct way is not, doesn't actually improve mm-hmm. the numbers, right? But, like, yeah, he he is fighting to remove warlords from a, an American city. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the status quo, but, like, it's not that unreasonable to to be fighting pretty yeah, hard like, against it. I mean, he's it. bringing in expectations of, of, of like, uh, some something that is beyond him, you know? Like, I mean, he's kind of made it, like, the way that he's talking, he makes it seem like it's personal, but it's not. You know, mm-hmm. and she takes it as personal, but then he's really just like a a physical embodiment of like a whole group of people. I guess I don't know. I don't know. Uh, like a he he is he is the representative, right, of all these people. Yeah. Um, so I feel like while his methods, I don't think are great. I think that's what. But like his his uh, motivations, I think, are understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So afterwards, uh, Taylor runs off uh, on on a dog um, after her encounter with Tag and all the things mm-hmm. he said to her and Tattletail's assessment that it kind of yeah, did get yeah. to her. Uh, she goes to her mother's grave um, and basically decides to just uh, just talk to her mom. Right. Uh, eventually, um, a, a groundskeeper comes by and s- sees her in a costume, um, but decides to just give her. She, she has her paper and tea, and uh, he gives it to her, and she writes 12 pages yeah. um, for her father, leaving it there. He's so nice, this groundskeeper. Yeah, he's he's a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting, too, that, like, she keeps running specifically, like, from the PRT, right? Like, and this is the second time that she has run to, like, a parental figure for, like, comfort and reassurance, and more so in this moment, catharsis. Because, um, like, mm-hmm. before, she showed up at her dad's place. I think, yes. Right. You know, and then, and I feel like in this moment, it's the first that we really see of almost this entire book, you know, the set of arcs that she has taken a moment to, I mean, I guess we sort of see it um, when she's having a, that chat with Clockblocker in, in mm-hmm. when she's like a hostage, but like, it's not, there's never a moment where she sits down and thinks to herself about what she has done, you know? And, like, the Mm -hmm. ramifications of it and and how she feels about it. Like, she's definitely, like, she's always evaluating the the material consequences of things that she's doing. But she hasn't had the moment where she just kind of processes everything that she has done. You know, like, herself Mm -hmm. and her actions and, like, her reactions to things that, you know, that she just kind of files away in the moment and all of this. And I think this particular instance, I think, gave her that space to do so. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting like at the in the cafeteria, right? She recounts all of those things mm-hmm. that she's done, right? She talks about carving out eyes and chopping off toes and and everything, but she also just presents it like completely devoid of 
of mm-hmm. context um, that she has used to justify things herself. And there, there's other times, too, uh, like during the Echidna fight, there's a clone basically kind of saying the same thing, yeah. right? And, it, like, she lets herself, she justifies things in the moment, and then afterwards just, like, picks the worst thing about it and, like, the, the you know, the, the worst-sounding thing about it and kind of uses it to yeah, beat herself yeah. up. But she doesn't, it, yeah, it's this weird just layering of feeling bad about something but not thinking about it but also bringing it up but also not you know actually mm-hmm. going through it in her own head so it's interesting yeah yeah she she really like picks and chooses when because like she never it's always like she uses it as a barbed attack upon herself you know she doesn't right. there's never where she like kind of you know unpacks all of this like broken glass and like sorts through it you know what i mean yeah 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 so uh afterwards um she goes with uh is there anything else to mention here by the way no right oh at the no yeah yeah that's good no okay just checking so then she goes with us with regent and imp to take out the fallen um she's there to basically check out how they operate um so um they pretty handily take out the the fallen the the fallen and and subdue haven pretty easily uh and uh, i mean she she drops um elegos from like a two-story drop onto all fours which is like and then valifor she puts maggots into his eyeballs Uh, which i mean at the like it is Um, kind of like that is the that is a good solution to kind of incapacitating him but I feel like it returns yeah, to the concept uh, just, of just just to make sure um, when the first times I read it, I understood that if she put maggots like under his eyelids, that's not no. what happened. They're, They're like in inside his of his yeah. eyeball, inside of it. Oh my god! <sighs> so great, so great. Horrible. So uh, Regent and Imp, Imp are also having this developing mm. dynamic. Um, she uh, has let him control her, although. To be fair to them, she does have a really good argument that, like, as soon as he goes to sleep, she's freed yeah. no matter what. So, you know, kind of that that is a pretty safe thing. Um, I mean, um, but um, guess, but like, I don't know that. What if he just doesn't go to sleep? But he has to sleep eventually. That's true, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so, so I'm so the point is, is that they're they're he could inflict one very horrible, no good, very bad day. But afterwards, she would probably, I mean, not guaranteed, but probably be able to, you know, that's destroy true. him. That's true. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, Just, it seems, I, well, I feel two ways about this, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, their dynamic is seemingly good. Like, they're, they're like, they have a relative balance of power that like yeah the rest of the undersiders like like they are a little bit off to the side versus the rest of the undersiders and they kind of like have formed this like friendship relationship type thing but it's also like i don't know like regent is still like regent you know and then imp yeah just like goes rogue a lot like she just does things <laughs> you know just because she can and and i feel like there's a recklessness to both of them that i Probably, feel like could yeah. be dangerous you know yeah but then yeah. also they both need companionship you know they need which i feel mm-hmm. like is good because they have given that to each other i don't know i go back and forth about this yeah yes uh, but taylor's purpose here basically is to kind of see where they're going and then set them on a path that isn't so yeah. horrible 
Um, she's worried about the kind of people that they'll be in the future, and she wants them to be powerful but not mm-hmm. bad, basically, or not horribly yeah. bad anyway. Just you know, a bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um. Oh. Go ahead. Well, we don't have to add the bit about a court, but I just thought it was great because I mean, no, like no, they no, had like fine. a meeting uh, and so, such. And but let me let me just open up that scene. So uh, the next scene, basically, Taylor meets up with uh, Brian and. Uh, mm. Citrine to uh, negotiate for a second. Um, one thing that is uh, in in the nego- in the negotiation, she accepts or she offers that uh, um, they'll look at uh, a court's plan for the city. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like, of all the people that look at his plans, I feel like she would be one that would actually consider it. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Tattletale, though, I think would just yeah uh, yeah I don't know not. about Tattletale. It's it, just the, the after reading it from a court's perspective and hearing oh Tattletale might get a kick out of debating the finer points of the plan and it's like it's a court's power his power is to make plans yeah. don't debate the plan it's his <sighs> it's just he, he when it comes to his plan he knows yeah, more than you just, that's he's his so power very thorough I about just it. like. I mean, it's this whole thing, and it's size 8 font, and it's just, you know, I mean, I can just imagine him sitting there, typing away, and it's just, I love it. I love it so much. <sighs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, so afterwards, uh, Brian and, and Taylor talk about their relationship. She pushes him towards therapy oh. so that he could... Wait, sorry, oh, I just ahead. had a moment that I, there was, there was somebody that mm-hmm. Accord reminds me of, um, and it's Cassandra. Uh-huh. Um, from from the Greek play that I don't know which one, uh-huh. but it has like Lacoon in it, yes. you know, and his sons and all of this. And she's like, she comes out of the city. I don't know. And she like her her mom has like another kid, but then she like kills her kid and marries some other guy, and he kills his kid. And anyways, <laughs> that that part's irrelevant. So, yeah. So but what like, is the connection? Cassandra to, to is the one uh, that tells she tells the future, but nobody listens to her. Right. So she knew that her, um, her brother was yeah. going to die and yeah. her mom was just like, whatever, like, you don't know anything. And then, you know, yeah. the kid and like her, her brother obviously dies and then everyone blames her because like she knew it was going to happen and no one did anything because like yeah. the gods made it so that no one would listen. And I feel like that's a court. I feel like a court is like, I have yeah. this plan. I know how to stop things. And everyone's like, what are you fucking talking about? Yeah. We have our thing. Like, we don't need to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I think that's a court. Yes. Sorry. Um, continue. So, continue. So back to Taylor and Brian. So, so they talk. Uh, she pushes them to have therapy, um, basically, so that he can take over for leader, quote unquote, in case something mm-hmm. happens. Um, so, and then he asks her, "What are we?" You know, talking, asking, basically, can you see us? You know, having children, getting married, that kind of thing. And she can actually, but she doesn't answer in time. So he says, "Yeah, thought so," yeah. which is just like. God damn it. But in any case, they both basically agreed to break up amicably, that it was something nice. And they uh, sleep together one final time before uh, in the morning she cleans it up with bugs, but we'll skim over that. Um, it's all very, it's a very reasonable um, breakup. Yeah, it's very, like, very, you know, logical, which I feel like has been their whole thing. You know, it's very... Yeah. They got together because it made yeah. sense, basically. Yeah. Huh. Also, I just love his, like wondering of like what are we you know and then he he like goes down this path and it like escalates one after the other where he's like children marriage monarchy 
great. <laughs> and he didn't say monarchy. He was like the king and queen or whatever of all of this. But it was very funny. Um, yes. But I feel like uh, their relationship sort of like in this arc, it kind of, she she's taking care of him. But like as she, it's as the leader of the undersiders, you know? More so than his like, mm-hmm. like girlfriend or like you know partner or significant other. Yeah. Like, it 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 wasn't it wasn't as much of like us two against the world or whatever. You know, like there's there's other relationships in in these arcs that feel more motivated by like romance or passion or whatever. That she seems more so of like care. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, then the Undersiders go and attack the Teeth, uh, accompanied by the Ambassadors. Um, it's a pretty violent fight, but also like really, mm-hmm. really entertaining. Um, uh, they chase the Butcher, which is a, a fascinating power uh, set, by the way, um, to Cherish's Beach, where then Butcher is driven to suicide and impales herself on her own sand spear. Yeah. Uh, and Cherish acquires the Butcher's mm-hmm. powers. She is now Butcher 15. Yes. Very exciting. It took me a second to, like, realize what had happened. At first, I was like, what the fuck? Like, she just does this, and they just stand there? But then I remembered about Cherish, and I got very excited. Um, yes. But it was very violent, this fight. It was, yeah, Extremely. it was just, like, a lot immediately. And it was just, you know, I mean, it's not that, like, the others haven't been. It just it just seems like this one was so, like, deliberately violent, you know? And it was, like, instigated by yeah. the Undersiders, I guess? You know? Yeah. I mean, they went the, on yeah, the aggressive. Yeah. yeah. Then again, the butcher did say that they were going to die, but that's, yeah. That's true. Yeah. But I don't know. She kind of, um, I feel like this is, this is like the skitter deciding very much that she's, you know, she's just going to go all in, you know? I mean, she, like, they have the, she's had other pointed little moments, but I feel like this one especially is very much her deciding that she is going to be aggressive. Like she, you know, everything that she does is going to be, you know, um, this new definition of herself. Yeah. 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 On uh, getting Trish to kill the butcher, um, that's um, a very... Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. an idea. I mean, okay, initially I thought it was a very bad idea, but, I mean, Cherish is contained for now. That's true. And when you think about it, like, Cherish's power does not, like, synergize with the other powers. Like, it, it kind of, like, overwrites them. Like, she'll kill you at a distance with her emotion mm-hmm. powers or she'll kill you with like if if you're then close then she'll kill you with the butcher powers like it's not it could it could be worse i mean like maybe <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know she's kind of like in a bad place mentally right now already you know oh yeah oh yeah and now she's stuck with like all oh, these yeah. other people all of whom like have killed the other yeah. ones you know like success successfully success yeah. success su- yeah. <clears throat> Do you need to take How a second? You... Successfully? No, like, but like one after the other. Sequentially? But like... Oh, no, it's sequentially. In succession. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Ah, yes. Yeah. You know? So it's like... I don't know. I feel like it's that... It's that whole thing of like... In Stardust, where it's like all the seven... Or like six brothers are all dead, but they're following around their last brother. And all of them have killed each other, but they're forced to be around each other. You know? They're just like... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I didn't read that book, so no. It's just people who don't want to be together because they murdered each other, you know? I feel like... Oh, yeah, they're all... And then at the same time, she's like surrounded by a city that is full of despair. Yeah. That just... 
bodes ill for the future. Yeah. Yes. But also very exciting because she probably will get out. I hope. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it also raises like, what do you even do with a person yeah. like that, right? Like, I mean, obviously you're supposed to imprison them. That would, I mean, could you send the butcher to the bird Oh, gosh. That's what. Okay, here's here's this. Well, uh, I don't know if I want to. Basically, you, you need to put her in like a like a like a time lock kind of thing because mm. it, I mean, if you put her in the birdcage, she's just going to try to kill everyone, and then whoever she kills or whoever kills her becomes the yeah. butcher, and then it, it's the same thing again. So, oh my god, what if what if they put her in the birdcage and then like it's like dominoes, and then suddenly the being that emerges from the birdcage is literally everyone in the birdcage all together because they all just killed each other and it's all contained in one being and suddenly, oh my god, that's so much. That's so much. That would be a mm-hmm. terrible plan. Yeah. I think I think time lock would probably be the best. Yeah. Sounds about right. In that little pocket, you know, that Mirrodin carries around. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so uh, that is uh, that section. Um, so then uh, Taylor goes in and checks mm-hmm. out Rachel's territory, and we see just how much emotional growth uh, Rachel has had. Yes. Oh, Rachel. She just makes me so happy. And this, I mean, like, she she isn't like a main character in this section, right? Mm-hmm. She's just kind of like in the background and she pops up occasionally and like is contributive and all of this. But like, She's, like, really developing, you know, like, in fits and bursts in the background, right? And we see, we kind of walk into the kind of end, the culmination of all of that, like, the emotional and social growth, I think. Um, And then, like, later on with the puppies that she brings for puppy therapy, admittedly, you know, kind of grumpily, but um, it's still, she's still, like, you know, really come so far, you know? I don't know. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. And also yes. her loyalty yes. is like super unbreakable, I feel like, you know, now. I mean, before it was like, you know, debatable and all of this we're trying to figure out. But she's like very much, she's fully bought in, like not going back, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It, it feels like she's growing to the person that she's meant mm-hmm. to be. She's much more relaxed and, and patient in, in these arcs and onward and it, I think she just feels more secure mm-hmm. um, she's confident that she'll be okay even if she messes up some social interactions and she's learning to trust the people around her and that not just yeah, Taylor yeah. so <clears throat> yeah this was like a nice moment I think very much so yeah. and this is where we see the sort of little broken family that she's yeah. collecting ah they're funny yes yeah. Um, so, uh, the, the, the final person that Taylor meets is Tattletail mm-hmm. with her, um, room full of, uh, things to know and things to uncover. I need to show you. So do you know that meme with, um, uh, Charlie from it's always sunny in Philadelphia where he's in front of yes. a yes. Uh, board with a bunch of strings mm-hmm. and stuff, mm-hmm. right? That someone made a fan art of, of Tattletail yes, in front of that. It's that really good. Almost exactly what I imagined. Yes, it's no, it yes. is that for sure. Um, but they have this sort of cryptic, um, not goodbye, um, talking about um, they they have this. You wrote here uh, the means justify the ends kind of friendship assessment. Oh yeah, well they were talking about um, I don't remember what the exact details of it, but they were talking about how like you know they were the means of like becoming friends and all of this, and we all you know like they all kind of got together and like the end bit of it wasn't as like relevant as as i mean it's very much like the journey sort of thing but i feel like there was a specific mm-hmm. thing about that 
it was like very notable. Oh, because I think that was just how they were they were like defining their relationship, you know? Sure. Because I I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) I feel like it was a nice thing. Well, regardless, um, I think to me, the scene feels very much like a moment of genuine real friendship. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. So um, then immediately afterwards, uh, Taylor turns herself into the PRT. Mm. And we recall um, Dinah's notes, cut ties. I'm sorry. Yeah. Ah, ah, I love it. I mentioned it at the very beginning, but well, I wrote it down, but I forgot to talk about it. About like all the pieces in this book where like there's things that we don't know what is written, you know, or what is said or that sort of thing. And I absolutely love that. I love the way that that works where it's like we're handed something, but we don't know what it is until the end, you know, and then right here it is. You know, we, we find out what it is, the cut ties, you know, and then like, I don't know. I just really like the way that that was like, yeah, that kind yeah, of delayed reveal. Yeah, that that yeah. was written really well, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also had a little speculation here about Telltale's yes. power. Um, because she's like digging around, you know, like she's making all these notes and all of this, you know, and I feel like the, I mean, you said before that like, it's like a thing or whatever, but, um, I feel like the headaches are also perhaps, you know, agitating her passenger, you know, because she's digging mm-hmm. around for information on them, you know? And right. I mean, other stuff too, but like specifically, you know, she's seeking that information out and I mean, maybe they don't, you know, want that. Maybe they don't want it available, that sort of thing. Um, oh, 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 is that why mm-hmm. the Seamer would like redirected that whole, you know, like prayer or whatever, or confessional or what Amy did where she like went into the room and was trying to tell dragon things, but then Seamer was like, ha I'm going to send that away. Was that, oh, was that a thing? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either, Clarence. I want to know. I'm so intrigued by mm-hmm. how the Endbringers fit into everything. <sighs> yes, yes. They are a bit of yeah. a wrinkle. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so then we, we finish arc uh, 21 with uh, an interlude from the yes. number man, uh, Cauldron's accountant slash enforcer, mm. prison guard yes. guy. Uh, so we see a lot about the inner workings of, of Cauldron. Cauldron has an end plan. Um, that uh, involves the the PRT in, in in some ways. They have tons and tons and tons of test subjects within. Um, <laughs> you've wrote here within the bounds of all um, each each word starting with a capital letter. Whatever it is, they operate in. Um, yes. Well, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to keep calling it yeah. like the hallway because I wasn't quite sure, and it seemed to be quite extensive. Ah, yeah. I mean, I think it's just like Cauldron's That's base. True. Yeah. Yeah, but there was like. Or just, like, or just cauldron like within so cauldron. Many, so many floors, like four plus floors of discontent individuals. Yes. Like that's so much. Yes. <sighs> yeah. And you wrote here uh, a gray boy oh, question yes. mark. Because I, f- because the encounter yes. with the individual that the numbered man was like, haha, I have all these plans, blah, blah, blah. You can't escape. You will never be able to escape all of this. But then, mm-hmm. you know, whoever it was, I mean, they had like pieces of themselves like cut out, you know? Which seemed like yeah. perhaps that was the... And I feel like there was a phrase... There was like a name, this kid, Grey Boy. But I don't remember where I saw it before. But mm-hmm. I feel like it was within this context. Yeah, no, it comes up a couple places. Yeah, yeah. It it comes up... The, the two places I know for sure is uh, during Echidna, uh, Eidolon, the anti-Eidolon, I think, reveals that they created Grey yes. Boy and the Siberian. And then additionally, uh, Jack looks at... Uh, d- during the 
the reporter interlude looks at all of the tubes and and there's only two that only have one um place mm-hmm. each and that's his own tube and gray boy's tube mm. yeah i guess that kind of disproves it though right because that they in order to say so then you know gray boy must have been out in the world and this individual hasn't been so perhaps it's not him mm-hmm. i don't know but whoever it was very upset and yes mm-hmm. i don't know all of them there's so many of them that are like it just it feels like a mess waiting to happen even more yes. so than the birdcage because yeah. they just yeah. there's just so much there's so much that they have yeah <sighs> uh also the number man was murder pals was jack slash in the 80s um and he pulls out his old costume uh because he's going to be going out yes. in the field um he's going to go under his mm-hmm. old name harbinger ah oh, the number man or sorry, I got that wrong. He's he'll still be the number man as a sort of call back to Jack yeah. Slash, but we yeah we get his old name mm-hmm. Harbinger. Yeah. Yes. Also, it's very interesting, you know, with the whole Jack Slash conversation. It seems like they have a lot of ties to most of the nine. You know, like very deep ties. Mm-hmm. Like they they're keeping tabs on like Shatterbird and Siberian, which is actually Manton. Like there's all this stuff. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Seems very interesting. How how close they are with all those people in the past and the present. Hmm. And they also yes. like seem to have their yes. finger in a lot of pools that are that don't notice the ripples that are happening, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is very intriguing and slightly disconcerting. And I want to know what their whole plan was mm-hmm. with Coil, and I don't know what it is, but it seems <laughs> transferable, which is maybe bad. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think of um, Number Man's, uh, he's he's talking to the, the mm. prisoner. The prisoner says that this isn't, um, this isn't right, yeah. right? This is immoral. And he goes, ah, <laughs> morals. This implication that morals are just another meaningless social construct like mm-hmm. money and that it's just worth yeah. nothing. Well, he also, I mean, I said, like, he was old Myrtle Pals, right? With Jack mm-hmm. Slash. But then at the yeah. same time, like... Morals are, like, they are kind of socially constructed, you know? I mean, like... Oh, yeah. We have, like, agreed upon that these are things are... These things are, like, taboo, and these are acceptable, and these are unacceptable, and these are heinous, and you're, like, all of these things, Mm -hmm. and these are, like, you know... We... A lot of that is sort of, like, socially defined, you know? And and some of it's, like... Oh, yeah. You know, relative in certain, you know, variations. And I feel like there perhaps... Like, there definitely are things that are seemingly universal or like that, you know, appear across a lot of lines, you know, but like he, he doesn't, he has not, he like sits above, you know, with all of his calculations and plans and things. And, um, so I feel like he, he would not, he would not deem morals to be something that he would, you know, have anything to do with, you know, or like that he would be like, oh, I'm above that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because he's like, I mean, it, hmm. Actually, maybe I shouldn't comment on the things because I I don't know how well I can divorce myself from future uh. knowledge. But like, even if morals are socially constructed, it doesn't mean that like there there isn't you know some some baser aspects of morality that you could. It, it doesn't mean that they're a bad argument. Yeah, yeah. the The fact that it's like I think the meaningless bit of his implications. I think that is yeah. His yeah, dismissal is his of dismissal. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't Cauldron just, like, give them all TVs or something? Like, god dang. Like, you just sit in a cell and yeah, do nothing? No, that's, that's terrible. That's how you go like, crazy. Uh, yeah. 
So uh, the next interlude is from uh, Perian, um, her real name, mm-hmm. Saba. She has this almost outsider, but inside uh, the undersiders, um, as they debate about what to do uh, about Skitter turning herself in. Um, Rachel is, is ride or die <laughs> loyalty. Uh, she's just like, she doesn't understand what's going on, basically, but she's like, no matter what, she's yeah, trusting she's Taylor. Yeah, she's like so sure that Taylor has a plan. She's like, yeah. you cannot convince me yeah. otherwise. And that, you know, whatever happens, yeah. we're going to believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Perian is is kind of scared of all her, her teammates and is not super great at the territory ruling. To be fair, she has not had Very a true. lot of time true. to work on that. Um, uh, Accord comes in to talk about the, the dynamics uh, and Tattletail is really, really <laughs> pissing him off. And after going through his perspective, we know that he's like every single time she opens her mouth, he's like, yeah. I'm going to kill her. Yeah. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her. Well, she's just um, so disruptive. Uh, like, that's her thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh. yeah. And she's just, like, it's so, so aggressive. No. It's so much. Um, so th- we, we finished with, with um, Flechette coming to talk to uh, Perrion, um first to talk about romantic things. Um, and she's kind of also despondent. She's just trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And Flechette basically... Um, after we see Perian's background, we know that she's very uh, averse to relationships where she there's a imbalanced power dy- dynamic on her end, mm-hmm. and so Flechette kind of pledges that she'll be Perian's knight, so uh, that the power dynamic will will um, sway the other direction, and uh, she defects sides uh, when Perian kisses her. Yeah, ah, these two, they're so funny. <laughs> Yeah, and they just—I don't know—they like there's there's never like a—I I don't know—they just I feel like they're kind of like middle of the road, you know? They're not like they're not they're not really like heroes, and they're not really—I mean, Perrin's not bought she she has she doesn't seem to have bought into her kind of like her place on the Undersiders yet, you know? Like she's still kind of feeling that out. Yeah. Like I feel like they're both kind of sitting in that in between state, you know, not really attached to anybody. Except they both keeping they they both keep showing up for each other, or really Fletcher keeps showing up for yeah. Perian. So I feel like they've kind of like formed this bond, but then like not done anything about it for like a while. And then also as like a sort of side note, like I feel like Fletcher kind of already is her kind of like lieutenant type because like she keeps showing up and like yeah. saving her and yeah, I don't know. They're both sweet and I don't know. They're funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, actually, we, we we skipped over the the conversation with um Perrin and um Flechette and Miss Militia oh, yeah, yeah, earlier. Oh yeah, we did. Uh, but that was another flash of mm-hmm. that dynamic where um I, I think Perrin pushed back against her like a uh, Flechette like asserting any like sort of oh yeah, because well, she got her, all mad um, about her what she was wearing and like her mm-hmm. her like changing. But then I mean, she has like a new group of people she's hanging out with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's more serious than that because it's like you know changing yeah. um, focus, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know these two. Yeah, the very intense relationship, very teenager, yeah. very very young adult, changing life paths, n- not exactly on a whim, but it, changing it on one aspect of their yeah. life that is also not super. Well, I mean, yeah. to be fair, Fletcher did go back home, you know, for a bit, and was like, "Nah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna come back." Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then we have arc twenty-two, mm-hmm. uh, cell, in which 
uh, as you wrote, Skitter takes the advice of a young child and kills Alexandria. Yes. Which is really funny <laughs> to me. Uh, so the, the PRT uh, put Skitter in a cell, uh, same, potentially the same cell that Lung was in before. And um, she kind of takes herself out of herself when they search her. Uh, she showers. It's kind of a humiliating ordeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least it's, they're attempting to make it humiliating. And um, she reflects on how Lung acted in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like, so often, like, whenever she is being subjected to, um, like, psychological type things, I feel like she seeks out either she, like, she seeks out beings that are not herself you know and like with with this where like she seeks out her bugs you know and she like is you know trying to figure all of that out but then at the same time she's like comparing herself to lung you know like she's she's Mm -hmm. placing her mind into a space that you know is is not her own i guess where like with the confrontation yeah in the school like she thinks about jack slash and how he would react and like how you know like I, i don't know she like she she draws upon all of these individuals that have, you know, a specific way of acquiring and maintaining, like, authority and dignity and respect and all of this. Um, but it's it's very interesting to me that most of the ones that, like, I think almost all of them are, are not heroes. Like, these leaders that she's using as yeah. models are not heroes. All of them are villains. Yeah, she could, she could maybe take a page from Miss Malish's book, I think. Yeah. Potentially. She's looking for effective yeah, it's, leaders because, like, it's so it's so fascinating how like how immediately she she decides to think about how they would do it instead of like she's kind of like written off the heroes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which you know made me kind of wonder at the at the end of this and kind of like in the future, will she be able to divest herself from that habit, you know, of turning to how these individuals would react, you know, in those moments of crisis? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, on a a different um path so i i really like the this depiction of the casual but brute ish tactics that the prt and really all mm-hmm. law enforcement uh performs so it really feels from Taylor's perspective that they're like really trying to do it to like get at yeah. her specifically yeah. right but i think basically every single thing that she's thinking is just for her is just um what's the word um, institutional procedural Ooh. that might be it i think it might be procedural procedural yeah. i think it might be procedural yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, these like most of these things are just just procedural. Like they're done as part of putting someone in a cell. You know, strip searching yes. someone. Uh, the I mean, they didn't build the cell a hel- uh, when when she got there, mm-hmm. right? It was already made. Uh, the stuff like the the light coming on periodically just to you know rattle her. That's also yeah. normal. The bed is normal. So like she's being processed by the state. You know, there are like yeah, there are material things that the state as an institution implements against every individual that it processes right like in order to grind the soul of the individual right where it's like there's these routines that are centered around the body that are very pointedly you know meant to take away you know autonomy of the self and like and like you know are meant to make it you know the expectation of surveillance and and you know the lack of privacy and this kind of deliberate dehumanization i think all those those are very like expected i think from from containment in like a governmental or governmental adjacent you know facility yeah yeah 
Yeah. Uh, so during this whole process, she's been listening into the conversations of everyone in the building the whole time, uh, really showing how far her listening abilities mm-hmm. have, yeah. have come. Uh, so even though uh, Kidwin's uh, laser bug seekers are, are killing her bugs, she's still listening in. Uh, Dino shows up and kind of takes control over her own autonomy and, and mm-hmm. knowledge and refuses to let Tag uh, pull anything. Um, in fact, gets pissed off and, and tells him the chances of him dying horribly, that was which I think so is only great. 22% or something like that. I know, that, it's not very high. Which but... is like, um, but it happened. So yeah. that was, there was a one in five chance that Taylor would kill him with bugs and it, it happened. Um, and um, Taylor is both angry about this, but also impressed. Um, and Miss Militia is not really doing that much. Yeah. But I feel like it's because at this point... I mean, she's kind of, like, stuck, right? Because she doesn't have the full authority. She's kind of... Yeah. Ms. Militia? Yeah. Like, I mean, they like, they won't yeah, listen. Yeah, yeah. I feel like she knows that they won't listen to what she has to say. Which, I mean, mm-hmm. in this moment, when I was writing it, I was kind of, like, harumph. But I feel like it's... <laughs> I feel like it's more so an acknowledgement that she doesn't have the power that she needs in order to, like, stop what's happening from happening. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Also, um, the PRT is, they just, they try so hard, you know, every time she like, like all of their leaders keep like getting knocked off and like, she keeps breaking in to their headquarters and all of this. And I feel like every time they think they've plugged up like all of the leaks in their power over her, like they think that they've got Mm -hmm. it figured out, you know, with like kid wins football thingamajig flying around, you know, killing all of her bugs. But then like she keeps dodging him and I... She like they just like she's continually circumventing all of the strategies, you know, um, that they are trying to yeah. implement. Yeah, it it's it's funny because it's like um, I don't know. I, I I certainly would be upset if any like r- like criminal that I didn't like was uh, listening into every single conversation about them and getting kind of a really unfair yeah. advantage. Yeah, it's frustrating if you think about it from the perspective of them. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. they, I, I would be pulling my hair out. Because it's like how... She's, like, mm-hmm. literally the epitome of resistance, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's... She's she's so hard to contain. She kind of forces transparency, yeah. which is interesting. Wait, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have yes, a note here about Dinah. I bring up Dinah um, because she's sort of like another individual, like, clock, block, clock blocker, I think, um, that kind of has the capacity mm-hmm. to rattle Taylor out of her like methodical rationalizing you know we see it at the very beginning right but then even again here like Taylor's immediate reaction about hearing about Dinah both um in the school and then also especially here especially when she shows up is like she's at first very angry you know but then like she's able to kind of break herself out of her thinking and evaluate the situation and Dinah's motivations um you know like Mm -hmm. that like she she's able to like detrack Taylor's like gut reaction, you know, which is yeah. so interesting that that she has. I mean, she had power over that before, but she became she's like I don't know she she her power as an individual I think is even more um, over Taylor than when she was just like this idea that Taylor was fighting for. Yeah, because not only is she the girl that mm-hmm. Taylor saved, she's also the precog that like. You know knows about the future and that's like th- that sort of utilitarian make the numbers better at for the end of the world is one of taylor's like easy 
mm-hmm. motivations, right? She's she or she can justify a lot of things with that yeah, in mind, yeah. right? Um, and like between the two of those, those kind of combine into a like kind of justify anything that Dinah does because both of the personal loyalty and the like logical yeah. loyalty. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Uh, so then, um, uh, Kaye, uh, her lawyer, shows up and um, she makes her demands to tag and Miss Militia. Um, or b- before we move on to the the part about the demands, um, bef- and before Danny gets there, uh, there's the scene where Kaye uh, outlines all the charges mm. against her, um, and I think it's um, pretty <laughs> it effective is. in getting us to understand in numbers and terms we're familiar with just how much damage and law breaking she's done. Like she, we start off with the first one, it's like 37 counts of assault with a parahuman ability it's like oh my god like that's so much and that's day one. yeah i know and it's just like we go through the entire story and kind of distill it down into this kind of you know very like like uh you know quantitative account which i feel like is is very like clear you know it's very sobering yeah it's superpowers make you forget very easily that hurting people yeah. is illegal <laughs> Um, because, you know, anytime she's fighting anyone, um, you know, from uh, the thugs on the street to parahumans to law enforcement officers, you're just like, oh, this is just yeah, this is just yeah. combat. This is how it's supposed to be. It's like, no, this is assault. This is assault going <laughs> know, both ways. Terrible. You know? Ah, yeah, it's very interesting yeah. to see it sort of like translated into into material consequences that we can understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so, uh, I want to talk about, uh, her demands yes, for yes. a second, right? So what she's asking for is amnesty for the undersiders and protection from future crimes for them. Uh, she wants to, um, she, she's okay with serving time in, in a prison, but she wants to be used to hunt the nine or otherwise be employed, you know, mm-hmm. and be made useful. And, um, the, the the last big one is she wants Miss Militia in charge of the Brockton Bay PRT, which would make it clear that non-parahumans are no longer in charge. Yeah, which I feel like it's not like a terrible amount of demands, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, placing Miss Militia in power, like, I feel like that at least... That's the biggest one to me. You know, that yeah. that at least, like, there there's some sort of acknowledgement of change, you know? Like, mm. that there is... Or acknowledgement of the past, and you know, ch- you know, kind of reevaluating the PRT and what it means. You know that I feel like the members who are kind of like I don't know if I am down with the way that things have been going. I feel like that would be the best. You know, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's also like she's making these demands to like the people who don't, who are in power, who don't want to, you know, relinquish their power. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the same time, you can very much understand the opposite perspective of, uh, I mean, if you're a civilian and you see parahumans start being in charge yeah. of themselves, then it suddenly gets pretty concerning because they are in charge of you yeah, in turn. That's very true. You lose any sort of semblance of power, which it doesn't seem like they had any power at all in the first place. We just like kind of pretended that they did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like I def- I mean, they did. They had, they had, they had like power, a modicum power. of power. Pigo did. That's true. Pigo, Pigo was like pretty good, but yeah. But at the same time, Alexandria mm-hmm. was always the chief director. Yeah, I mean, I understand why they don't like you know uh, heed heed her demands. Um, right. But I don't know. They don't seem horrifically unreasonable. You know. 
Yeah. 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 Except, I don't know, but I mean, she's, that's like asking a lot about the Undersiders, though. I, I really wonder, like, if she had negotiated this from a position of mm-hmm. strength, right? Um, I mean, maybe, maybe Tag makes this less of a good argument, but if she had, like, gone to them and been like, okay, I'm currently mm-hmm. free right now, but if you capitulate to these demands, I yeah. will turn myself in. Sort of like a... And and you will have me. And I, I swear I won't yeah. break out. I feel like... Then I, in... I I don't know if she would have gotten all like of them. She... I think Tag especially would, would really put his foot down and say no, but he also did that here. Yeah. So like... I feel like if she approached it in the way that she did when she went to go have a chat with... um the Like when, when she allowed herself to be taken hostage in the van, I feel mm-hmm. like if she addressed it like that, but like they met on equal grounds and then she... I feel like that maybe would have worked for some of it, but mm-hmm. not all of it. Yeah, I don't know. But they, because they all like they all have their own deal that they're doing. You know, like they all have their own plans and and motivations and what they're expecting. You know, right? And I feel like her demands really, really didn't fit in with that. You know. Yeah. 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 Um. So then Danny gets mm-hmm. here. Um. They. Um, as, as Tag is not really down for anything but blood. Ah, Tag. Um, so he, he shows up and their interactions are, like, both, like, friendly and, and, and also serious. Um, Tag is, is working outside of these, uh, unspoken taboos because he doesn't mm-hmm. care about them. Um, and so, kind of surprisingly, to, to our relief, Danny is pretty much mostly on Taylor's side. Yeah. Yeah, but there's still, like, this really strange like vein of like cordiality between them because mm-hmm. like i mean he's like yes i mean this was my kid you know but i feel like even in this moment he's still sort of like he has not reconciled the kid that he knows and this person that he is encountering now you know sure yeah i don't know he's still i i feel like this entire time he's just reeling yeah 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 he's been reeling since the mm-hmm. the reveal which yeah. was like a week ago just a week ago. So, yeah, I think so. I don't, I don't know if that's actually correct, but it was definitely a couple of yeah. days ago at least. So then Alexandra shows up and uh, she has this whole routine. She's waiting for Skater to capitulate and she's playing really, really mm-hmm. hardball. Really, really hard yeah. hardball. Uh, she leaves and captures uh, two of the Undersiders one by one on this 10-minute schedule. Uh, Taylor is trying to convey these attacks to Tattletail via bugs and a phone, but she's not hearing the uh, very important responses, capital V, <laughs> capital I, capital R. Um, Alexandria then gives an offer. She's going to free the Undersiders that she just captured and give Skitter uh, a jail mm-hmm. sentence, but that's only the very tiniest fraction of her demands. That's, that's like one out yeah, of four. Yeah. So um, refusing is not entirely unreasonable. Um, Alexandria then goes out and brings back a body bag, which could be either be Brian or Rachel. Skitter kills Tag and Alexandria in her yeah. rage. Which is just like, ah, Alexandria, like, what are you doing this whole time? She's just so very intense about it. Ah. But also, this, I think, is another good point um, to note um, to kind of refer back to that whole conversation she had with Clockblocker about how her after effects are so very often, you know, detrimental or fatal. And and even like harking back to the very beginning with Lung, like she's unknowingly more cruel than like her conscious self, you know? 
Um, yeah. Which I don't know if this is just like her mind left unchecked and like her bugs left to their, you know, whatevers. But I mean, I feel like it's also maybe like her passenger involved left to its own devices. I don't know. She intentionally didn't um, hold back her that's true that's she true. had an option to right before she passed out but she, she didn't. was just kind of like well and then also Fuck yeah em. i feel like yeah. so often the like mess that gets created with like especially the heroes especially the all- overconfident heroes i feel like it is always they always underestimate her and like what she can do mm-hmm. and what she will do you know like yeah huh, i don't know it just seems to be they push her they push her to the limit that they don't know is there or like or they they push yeah. her no that's not what i was going to say the the limit that they think is there is like so much farther back or like beyond i guess i don't know mm-hmm. yeah also it's very interesting that her first thought immediately is that she's like abandoned you know which i feel like it's like immediately she's alone linked to loneliness you know all of this like when she's she wakes alone, up yeah and there's nobody in the building you know, and then she doesn't know if whoever it was had died or not. And this, like, I don't know, there's so much isolation that I seems seems like everything's hopeless and all of this. And yeah. 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 And there's um, there's a phrase that Alexandria used first and then mm-hmm. she used, which was just in terms of writing. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, it's really good. Um, I will read it out. Not a promise, yes. not an oath, nor... Oh, it, nor a malediction, nor a curse. Inevitable. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. This this sort of, um, I don't remember what the device is, but I love it. You know, it's, it's like the beginning yeah. of The Hobbit, you know, where it's like you describe what it is not. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes, this was a really yes. good, oh, this whole arc was just really, really well written. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so Skitter, uh, basically makes a daring escape from, um, her cell, but not before, uh, Defiant and Dragon mm. arrive. Uh, they capture her, uh, Defiant yells at her to stop trying <laughs> yeah. things, um, which sticks mm-hmm. in my mind, before they reveal to her that it was a trick. Um, no, none of the Undersiders are dead, um, it, but Alexandria and Tag both are. So then um, Defiant, Dragon, Miss Militia, and Skitter, and uh, with the help of, of uh, Chevalier later on, they have to make a plan on how they're going to spin this mm-hmm. to the public. How to explain the death of Alexandria without fucking up the PRT even more. Um, and they strike a deal. Uh, you wrote Something is in the oh. Drawer. Um, that is the Weaver oh, costume. Oh, if, yes. If you were wondering. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. Yes, okay. Yeah. So the Undersiders come in a van to watch Skitter announce herself as Weaver and the as the kind of killer of Alexandria uh, before um, taking off with Defiant and Dragon. Yes. Um, yeah, so she's, she she picks her name as Weaver. There's a big speech with Chevalier about this is the new mm-hmm. PRT. They're going to be better. Um, yeah. yeah, but it's interesting because she acknowledges that there is that requirement of needing to manipulate the situation, you know, and not reveal yeah. and kind of place it so that people will still be compliant. Um which, as much as she, like, shouts about the PRT and all of this, she, like, all the politicking that is required, like, she does that already on, like, an individual level, you know? Um, mm-hmm. In terms of all, like, all the manipulation that she's done, like, I feel, in the moments, and the, like, I feel like while she protests the kind of large conspiracy type things, I feel like this sort of situation is not un, 
common term. Yeah. Untailor. Yeah. Well, what's I just find it so fascinating her her back and forth about mm-hmm. the PRT because at this point, right after they've uh, to her killed some of her teammates. She's just raving about the destruction of the purity. Burn it all down. It's all corrupt. Alexandria was a horrible mm. person. She basically deserved to die, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, not only is most of it, I mean, her arguments aren't, you know, nonsense, but um, they're they're clearly coming from an emotional place. But it's a complete, complete turnaround from her previous, like, mm-hmm. speeches, yeah. right? There was the... The one with Echidna and, and a couple other places where she says, we need the PRT because otherwise how we're going to fight against the, the Endbringers. And here she's like, fuck it. We don't even need them yeah. for that. Um, so uh, it's kind of like the first time it actually hurts mm-hmm. her, she switches and says, yeah. burn it down. Yeah, it's very interesting how very specific it is to how it affects her rather than just like... It, it's, yeah. I feel like it's the same thing with how she dealt with Coil and Dinah, where it's like... She wasn't thinking about the ramifications and how many people were getting hurt until it was, you know, directly impacting her mentality and her, you know, well, I guess with that, it was more of like how she felt responsible, but it was, there was like one specific thing that like, you know, kind of switched her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, Defiant and Dragon, they appear to have other plans, you know, like this whole time, this whole, this whole book they seem to have other plans you know beyond the scope of the prt and they're like all you know secretly chatting and it's hilarious every time that they interact and they're like those two are talking and she's like i can tell that you're like come on like you need to speak to me too skitter like she she can recognize when they're having a conversation that's silent it's so interesting um but Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's fascinating because both of those two are kind of like the most out of out of everybody in like the the sort of like heroes i think like they're the most kind of walk the line you know kind of they are almost vigilantes you know which i feel like if she is going yeah. to get stuck with anybody in the like the pre- protectorate i feel like those two may be the best um so mm-hmm. her whole plan is maybe going to work out also it's interesting because the instruction that dinah gave was to cut ties you know um but she yeah. did not she didn't do that she like very deliberately went around and tied everything up mm. so that when <laughs> when she cut them, nothing would fall, you know? Um, mm. Yeah. Well, I also wrote that it was kind of like, because they're kind of like the strings of like fate, you know, of a Greek god instead of like a mortal. Mm-hmm. So they can't actually cut it, you know? Mm. But yeah, so she's like, she's sort of um, followed the instructions of Dinah, but then like she did it you know, hmm. but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hard for me to talk about that without uh, using my knowledge of what happens ah. directly after. So, ah. um, but we'll, we'll talk about that I'm next so time for, for sure. Mm-hmm. So did you want yes. to talk about names? Um, want to talk right. About so, names. uh, over the course of these arcs, we see Skitter, um, abandon slash have, um, her identity as Taylor mm-hmm. taken away from her. And then here she chooses a new name, Weaver. Um, and, it's worth noting she hadn't been able to choose either of her names before, right? Her parents picked mm-hmm. Taylor and the, the heroes yeah. picked Skitter. Um, we also have uh, Yamada's interlude, which talks a lot about names, how the asylum workers shouldn't use the quote-unquote code names, how Weld should pick a quote-unquote real name, which um, 
parenthetical here. Um, I can see a push against picking a real name because that implies that his current name isn't real and he's always a parahuman. He's never not a parahuman, right? Yeah. Like he does. He doesn't have that secret identity. He, his his job is to be a parahuman, and then when he leaves his job, he's still a parahuman, mm-hmm. right? So like picking a real name would be kind of pretending that he's something that he's not. So maybe it's like he views it as denying a reality. That's the way I view his perspective on names. I don't know. Yeah. Well, because. Um, the people anyway, who are giving names. him that instruction are sort of like you must like they're like this this is something that sits within the kind of like you know when you're out and about when you're off they they, they see that divide they have they have created a divide that he doesn't have and i feel like that's yeah. that's the same thing with all the case 53s where i mean it's like the same like with um gregor where he was kind of like this is just where i am in society you know like i have you know yeah. this this self that I am now, I have to accept that, you know, I don't have the memory of the past. I have to kind of forge myself into into something that, like, doesn't have that anchoring, you know, of, like, a before. Yeah. Um, yeah. He is, I mean, Gregor is Gregor yeah. the snail. He's He's got a normal name, mm-hmm. but he's the snail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, especially with, oh, that the whole Yamada, like, all of the different individuals who, like, how Yamada thinks of them in her head and how she refers to them mm-hmm. and how she like how they want her to refer to them and like choosing between mm-hmm. their like civilian name and their like parahuman like cape name and all of this yeah and there i feel like there's an implication that the civilian name kind of you know uh f- creates the conditions for them to be vulnerable in a like a therapy type setting um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where i feel like i feel like that's a prescribed thing that that others have placed upon them you know i don't know it's it's all about like spatial and and kind of you know social positionality i think is is that sort of back and forth between those names yeah well it's interesting it's just interesting to see each one picking their identities and they they kind of all have different reasons for why they pick one Mm -hmm. over another uh dennis um slash clockblocker doesn't really care it that's that's how he presents it um uh Lily slash Flechette is very, very clearly switching between her yeah, two personas. Yeah. Oh, that was um, so interesting to see how immediately mm-hmm. she puts on, like, she's not even, it's like, like her body reflects, like her, her mentality just like completely changes her physicality when she like answers the phone mm-hmm. as Flechette, which is so fascinating. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, um, Vista, she wants to be called Vista because that's mm-hmm. the grown up name, basically. She just wants to be called yeah. Missy, right? And Kidwin also just wants to be called Kidwin, but also he doesn't really care about yeah, therapy at yeah. all. So Yeah, all of them. But then it's also interesting, too, when you think about name choosing in terms of Taylor. Because, like, she's she's thought about this for, like, a while, this concept of choosing mm-hmm. a name. You know, and and I feel like the act of choosing a name in this particular moment um, is a sort of, sort of, like, choosing. She's She's, like, fully embracing herself, I feel like. Because before, like, mm-hmm. when she kind of jumped into the para- like the, the world of parahumans in the cape world or whatever, she she was already designated into, like, a, into villain, right? Like, right. she did not have, like, any sort of agency over defining herself um, for, like, a while. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, later on, it's just, like, it's defined by her actions and her, her expectations that Coil is sent to her 
where she becomes the warlord, all of this, and then even after she kills him, like, there hasn't been a moment where she has sat down and and fully chosen what she's going to do and who she's going to be, you know, um, mm-hmm. in, in a way that this moment where she chooses to be Weaver um, provides, I think. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I think it does. Yeah. And yeah. What do you think is the significance of this particular name? Hmm. Well, she does a lot of like silk things, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, because like that whole thing with, with a cord, didn't she have like a couple of like beings made out of silk? Oh, yeah. Um, is that what I'm imagining? I feel like I'm... I think the, the, what was implied was that Perian's, um, like, scorpion might have, might have been made out of her silk. I don't know if that's actually true, oh, but yeah. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Hmm. What else? And I suppose she, like, I mean, maybe this is too metaphysical or whatever, but, it, like, where she, like, kind mm. of weaves individuals into, like, a particular thing. You know, like, she has, she sure. has this whole, yeah. like playing field out in her mind right she knows the scope of of the or like the landscape and she kind of you know kind of weaves everyone's individually you know pieces and powers and you know uses into into something that yeah can work together i don't know yeah what what i what i find interesting here is right in in arc one um and before she she has her own cape name she talks about how it was super super difficult to mm-hmm. to pick one. She kind of hated all the ones that she found. And we haven't seen her specifically think of what she wants to call herself, yeah. right? This is a new with the name Weaver hasn't come up before. Um and so we don't really know how long she's been thinking mm-hmm. about this particular name, but she chooses I mean, she she settles on it fairly yeah. quickly here, basically. when she needs to become a hero, she picks it. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I that maybe implies that she has been kind of rolling this around much longer mm-hmm. than I don't know. There's all these little pieces that she hasn't been, that we haven't seen her thinking to. You know, like she has yeah. all these things that she's been holding on to, going on in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another little connection, and this just occurred to me, even though it's it's actually not that deep. It, um, it um, uh, Taylor and Taylor and Weaver. That there's a like a like a Taylor is a, Taylor. like a Weaver. Oh. Yes. The, the, the job <laughs> yeah, of being a yeah. tailor, we they weave a little bit. It's true. Um, I think it's it's a dumb connection, <laughs> but, there's, but it is there's sort connection of a connection there. to her real name, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how intentional that is, but yeah. there you go. I don't know. I have thoughts, but I don't know all about them. Because I sort of think, mm-hmm. I don't know, I sort of think that she had, well, I guess we would know. We would know enough if she had, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, that is how we end arc 22. Uh, then we just have two interludes. Um, the first one is from Charlotte's per- mm-hmm. perspective. She's uh, caring for these kids, um, basically wondering what to do in, in this aftermath. Uh, she's pretty loyal to mm-hmm. Skitter, actually. And um, we, we see uh, another... Um, we see Stan, the reporter, show up, and basically uh, her and uh, Forrest, another one of uh, Taylor's employees, and uh, a lot of the citizens there basically tell Stan to, to fuck yeah, off yeah. Um, um, before Danny shows up, and he has to make a decision on how he's going to support or not support Taylor. And so he's kind of here to see what's going on in her territory. And he's still, he seems like in a, in a fugue, yeah. basically. He's so just in shock. And he, um, Charlotte takes her to the base before the undersiders show up and have 
uh, talk about uh, basically, as as you put it here, property inheritance and the next steps in terms of territory protection and all. I mean, it's pretty. It's a very communal situation. Yeah, well, she's like handing it off to everybody in her territory and all of this, and I feel like it's a pretty good way that like she's like her little her little territory. I feel like she she really kind of did well. I think in her ruling. I mean, some of it's like yeah. you know. I, there's no there's there's no community like a community that comes together once a week to have yeah i know a big right barbecue. like it's great so yeah. yeah this is this is what the anarchist dream is yeah pretty much yeah <sighs> but yeah yeah the the it's really interesting too to to see the undersiders from her perspective all the time it's so it's so fascinating to see them from kind of the people around them um because we're watching mm-hmm. them kind of deal with what they're going to have to do Right, and we're having we're we're kind of seeing them kind of find their own footing again, um, and and she's just kind of in the background, being you know trying to figure out what the next point of all of this is, and I don't know, she's just she's a very like reliable character, I think. Yeah, Charlotte, you know, like yeah. she's just been there in the territory taking care of everyone. Like I don't know. Well, she's just she, I mean she's gotten like a lot more loyal than I than mm. I thought she would be. She's so she's kind of confident yeah. to be here. Um we also see Sierra come in um or maybe that was Yeah, no earlier, no. They well they at least they bring her in. Sierra is the one the that now owns all of those mm-hmm. um businesses that um all, all the the property around the portal. She's basically the legal face yeah. of the undersiders now. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. So I was actually really surprised reading um Danny's mm-hmm. perspective here cuz he, he he's basically he says that he saw Taylor as yeah. a as a monster, right? Uh, which I mean, okay, fair. She did just <laughs> That's kill two people true. in front of her. Fair, but but uh, it really just goes to show just like how just horribly yeah. apart they are. Um, and and um, conversely, it's also very surprising how fiercely Charlotte defends her, right? Um, yeah, I mean, earlier in the story, she was kind of mm-hmm. scared of Skitter, right? Yeah, she kind of she really so. kind of embraced this concept. I think I think too like. They, they had, she was, she was worried about like the other shoe dropping sort of thing of like, she was waiting for Skitter to mm-hmm. like, not to, to sort of stop being so like accommodating or she was, she was worried that there was, you know, like, I feel like there was a moment when she, she was talking to somebody else trying to like, make sure that they knew that her, you know, uh, warlord like could you know, you know, become violent very soon. And like, they, they, they needed to be aware of this, mm-hmm. but I feel like, I feel like she kind of became sure that this was going to work out, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the, I feel like it was just kind of like a building up sort of thing. It wasn't like an immediate, mm-hmm. something happened and now I'm loyal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Uh, so this interlude finishes with uh, Charlotte mm-hmm. approaching Aiden, who has previously drawn some strange strange drawing and he talks about his dream and we kind of get the implication it sounds a lot like a trigger vision Hmm. Hmm. i don't know the details of it but i feel like it is significant and i don't know how i don't know how it's significant because like is this did this kid have a trigger event by himself you know but then like he sort of remembers it but not really but then like or was he there because he was talking about how Skitter had just arrived, you know? Like, after this, the, the whole day where she, like, after the day that she had spent, you know, being revealed and dealing with everything, after that, you know, she arrives back home and he sees this. So, like, was that her second 
event, you know, her trigger event. I don't know. But then, I don't know. Like, well, should we have known that she had done that? But then, I mean, there's this whole thing about rising action, so you can't tell everyone about something that has happened. And I don't know. I'm very, mm-hmm. very curious. Excellent questions to, to ask. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so then we have the final interlude of the section. Lung's yes. interlude, a.k.a. Kenta. So he was part of a youthful group of uh, Japanese uh, aspiring Yakuza mm-hmm. members. Um, but they, uh, in, in one of their, their first big events that they want to do, um, they basically all die at the hands of Cauldron's yeah. bodyguard. Um, his uh, trigger event occurs when his face is slammed into a bunch of drugs. Um he sees a vision, mm-hmm. um, something about uh, a gaseous planet with gaseous yes. inhabitants. Uh, but then we flash forward, and uh, he goes head-to-head with Leviathan. There's a quote from him uh, where someone asks him, if, "Is are you a villain? And he says, I am me. Um, and you uh, wrote here, nobody's around to see him be a fucking badass, and he is sad, <laughs> which I <laughs> laughed out loud. Um, but um, so, uh, After that uh, amazing climactic fight of his life he spent some time in isolated spaces routinely asked to join uh, the Yangban when he's in the CUI Um, he then escaped to the United States and does this thing with the ABB and Bakuda but now he's in the birdcage and um, a teacher tries to uh, get him on Mm -hmm. teacher's side and uh, he doesn't say no basically and doesn't tell Marquis about it either Yes, Lung. I really am so glad that we got this because this was a wonderful interlude, you know? And I think it's really interesting um, because Lung is is such like an inch, like an instrumental piece of like this story, I feel like, and especially Taylor's, like absolutely Taylor's, right? Because it's like that was, he was kind of her first villain, um, you know, her first enemy or whatever. Like, so they began as as enemies, right? And he's making this list of all these people that he, like, you know, mm-hmm. is ready to take to task or whatever. And, you know, his power makes it seem like he's going to be part, like, an essential part of the end bit, you know, where everything, like, is coming to a head and they're, like, dealing with whatever threat that is coming, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. I feel like he could either be a derailment or, like, a saving reinforcement sort of thing, because he, he, like, has the capacity to fight bringers, right? And... He yeah. he is power enough, powerful enough to, like, be of help, you know? And he wants to be... He's seeking, like, notoriety. He wants to be known. He wants to, like, be, like, um, acknowledged. He wants to be acknowledged for what he has done, you know? And can do and all of this. Yeah. And um, and while, while right now they are enemies and he kind of, like, hates her guts or whatever, but, like, Taylor's really good mm-hmm. at, at picking useful people, you know? And, like... That's true. And, I mean, she's not really, like, super concerned anymore. I mean, maybe she is now, but, like, I feel like the good and bad part is not as important as, like, tactical, you know? you Like, mm-hmm. uh, uh yeah. usability or whatever. And I feel like if they can get past their kind of, like, you know, if they can get past their past, haha, um, <laughs> I feel like they could be a good team, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lung Lung is just so uh, fun to have in the story. I think his yes. his power is just so fun. Um, I mean this this chapter is just uh, a joy to read. Really, um, 
Lung's fight against Leviathan, um, I, I would compare that to his mm-hmm. highest high, right? Uh, something that he's always trying to get again. Uh, because, you know, I mean, there's a line in there. It's like, for a moment, he truly was king of the world, right? Echoing the, the feeling of yeah. cocaine. But, of course, that's not enough. And there's always a feeling that you could go higher. Uh, yeah. Which I, I find interesting because it's like an echo of his trigger event. But, his like, him being slammed into, into drugs is not, like, his, like, real-life trauma. It's not his yeah. emotional trauma, right? Like, it wasn't... His trigger event wasn't... Um, brought on by a, a life of abusing drugs, yeah. right? And yet his power is kind of an echo yeah, of that too. So, uh, also, Wild Bill literally made a kaiju fight in Japan. I just, I just want to call that out real quick. That's what Leviathan versus Lung is. It's a kaiju fight, which is. I feel like uh, I should know what that is. That's fun. A kaiju is just a giant monster, oh, okay. like Godzilla. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, he made giant monsters fight cool. in Japan. I, I just liked think it. that's. That's great. Yeah, this whole this whole interlude yeah. I, I really liked a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, that is all we have for arcs 18 through 22. That's all of the beats. No oh. more chapters. So we're done. Uh, we are currently at four hours My and 30 God. minutes. <laughs> so this is a five-hour so recording. Hopefully it'll be less for you guys. Um, but okay, let's talk about book four yes. as a whole. Uh, now, that, now that we've re- recapped it all. Um, I I really enjoy this. This uh, of course, you know, this division is not mm-hmm. perfect. Really, it should be like um, the Echidna arcs and then the the other yeah. three. Yeah, there was but, definitely a distinct divide. Um, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, these these sections are really yeah. really awesome, though. I I think um, there's we end here on a gigantic paradigm shift, right? Mm-hmm. The huge some enormous change. Um, I, I really I don't even know what else to to compare it to in the story. Maybe Leviathan of just like a sign that this story is not going to be yeah. the same anymore. With um, Taylor taking um, the name Weaver and now being a hero, yeah, she's off to join the other two. But yeah, yeah, it's it's quite a shift. There's very much a distinct like, you know, everything everything at this moment right is kind of building towards the like you know the end you know, and I'm but we're not quite to the point where. It's not like the critical bit at the end, you know, like we're still we're still like a few steps away from from the end of the rising right. action, you know, um, yeah. which is a great place to be in a story, you know. Ah, so mm-hmm. I think I think it it while while there there are like two different pieces to it, I think it, it was a really fun section to read, I think. Yeah. 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 I think it's basically, as I said at the beginning, most of the dominoes mm-hmm. are placed now <clears throat> and the first ones are yes. starting to tip over, <clears throat> which I, yeah, I, I just really enjoy it. And of course, those those two confrontations, NARC 20, NARC 22, are always, they're, they're, they, mm-hmm. they call to me. <clears throat> yeah. Um, okay, let's get into Clarence's speculations. Yes. So, um, so <laughs> I made a list. Speculating I now? made a very large list. Yes, yes. Excellent. Um, that I'm very excited about. And I... I, well, I feel, I feel like I brought up a few of them up in the middle of it. Yes, but that's all right. We'll, we'll but, recap them here yes. anyway. So, the deal with Cauldron. You know, it seems like they're preparing for the flapping beings, you know, um, to come. Like, they know that it's going to happen, but they don't seem to be working with them. You know, like, they're doing the research, trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's going on. And it seems like they have, and they know something is coming. But, I don't know. It It feels as if they are trying to subvert the the you know kind of naturalized purpose of the passengers i don't know something Mm -hmm. about that yes and then aiden 
this young child. I, I did a lot of wondering about that. I don't know. I don't know if the kid's going to be important or, you know, maybe Skitter had a second trigger. Um, who knows? Very large question mark there. But I also feel like she will. If this did, if this was not it, then she probably will. I don't know. It, it seems mm-hmm. to be. But this seems like a good time for it, you know? Enough time for her to kind of sit around and kind of figure it out and then, you know, go into the, mm-hmm. you know, the final battles and such. Uh, with the nine. Sure. Oh my god, I'm so worried about those guys. But also, <laughs> I'm so excited and I hope Cherish escapes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Don't you mean Butcher uh, 15? Butcher 15. It's not as exciting as Cherish, you know. Mm. But I'll take it. Yes. Okay. And then the birdcage. I feel like the birdcage... I no, I don't know if I feel it. I just hope. I just hope that it becomes extremely important somehow. <laughs> I don't remember why. I had a theory on it, but I haven't. I didn't write it down, so now I don't remember. But I think also you probably I just, just really, I really like it. I really do, which is terrible because it's like not a great place, but it's just so fascinating, and the people inside are so fascinating. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um. Hmm. Also, Jack Slash and the Number Man. I feel like they're going to have a meetup. You know, something about that to catch up, you know, mm-hmm. reminiscing about old times and new times and things that are happening. I don't know. I mean, they're old pals, right? They're old murder mm-hmm. pals from the 80s. Yeah. Um, yes. I'm trying to recall how much was said in that scene. Because um, they, they they killed someone that had power <gasps> over them. Who? Is basically, that, that's what that scene was. That they killed someone that was previously yes. in charge of them, more or oh, less. Oh, it's very, yeah. very like, Sith-like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Yes. Hmm. What else? Oh, also, I don't have really a prediction about it, but it's just kind of an idle observation, I suppose, about Clockblocker and uh, Taylor and Skitter. They just, I really, their banter is so much fun. Like, they're just such fun. I like them. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I, yes. like, I want them to be friends because I like yes. their interactions and I hope there's more of them. And I feel like them, like her yes. as as, like, working on the wards, I feel like they, she could either, like, just have like a nice fun like bantering all the time or like them two working together is going to be like a mess for like for everybody else you know i don't know yeah but that's my opinion so uh are those all Um, your speculations okay let's move on to questions for clarence Mm -hmm. uh so we have a couple here uh let's start off with the megafire seven um who says uh next week this week we'll be we are touching mm-hmm. on arc 20, uh, which remains uh, their favorite arc of Worm. And they think there's a lot in it that, that touches on things that we talked about in last episode. Uh, specifically, um, it brings home the point of Taylor being seen as a more legitimate uh, yes. governing body than the PRT and the heroes. With that in mind, what do we think of the way Taylor chooses to use her reputation and her intimidation to get out of that situation? Hmm. I think I think it's an effective use of her power over the city um but i feel mm-hmm. like it's really only effective because they also had a bone to pick with the prt like she mm-hmm. is she does have power she does have that legitimate governing body or she is she is a legitimate governing body right but yeah basically, i feel like it would not have been as effective if like all of them were kind of like well we don't have anything we like we're not against the prt you know yeah if yeah if the prt had done a better job of fighting off you know some of the horrible things that had happened i think they could have held on to that legitimacy yeah 
Yeah. Um, Megafire also says, uh, also, I love Imp a lot. And the aftermath of that cafeteria scene has some of the civilians make mention of how her brand of justice brought them to the Undersider's side. What do you think about it being specifically her that gets mentioned here? I think there's some there's a couple teens like in the aftermath of that that basically say that Imp um, drove off some some horrible people or did some terrible things to them that had hurt them. I don't know. I think that's I think it's we don't we don't get to see a lot of like how she operates. Um, but I feel like, I feel like as much as she likes to, like, be a chaotic force, I feel like she does have, like, good intentions, you know? And, like, she does, Mm -hmm. she does, like, bring good, you know, impacts, I think, or, like, change. Um, like, when, when it matters, I think she really knows what she's doing, you know? Yeah. And Mm I, I mean, I, we see her, a lot of is, like, part of the Undersiders or, like, you know, whenever we're reminded that she's like around, but I, I don't know. I feel like she could have her own tale that like, I feel like she could be off doing who knows what this whole time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause she, yeah. 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 Um, grumpy, grumpy toes, I think yeah. is how you pronounce that. Uh, says, I'd be curious to hear a discussion on how Dennis slash Clockblocker is presented as a mm-hmm. foil for Taylor. Very few people, especially heroes, ever shake Taylor's conviction, but he does. His con- conversation with the Yamada highlights how disillusioned he is, and that's even before the triumvirate re- reveal. Yes. I feel like, yeah, well, because he he is sort of what she could have been um, if she joined the wards, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Because he he so. he... Buck's authority in the same way, but he just, he comes from a, a different positionality than her, which I feel like that's why, yeah. that's why in the van, especially, and, and really like, um, like he can get her to think about things in a way that she would not have, or like, or the way she was choosing not mm-hmm. to examine closely yet is that he kind of, mm-hmm. because to her, I mean, yeah, he's like a ward, but like he, he presents it in a way that is reasonable to her. You know, and like thought out mm-hmm. in the way that she perhaps not necessarily not necessarily would think out, but like is logical to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really want to see them just kind of be friends and, and talk about stuff, but <sighs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I wonder. Yeah, I... but hmm, those two, those two. Yes, you wonder. Hmm. Yes, those two. You sound wistful. No, I just I, like I, I don't want to basically be like I, I just want to see fanfics of them because I don't want to say that. Oh. Anymore, so, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I, I mean, I want to see fanfics of them just being friends or like Dennis as a as a villain or vice versa. Oh, that would versa. be very interesting. So they have a dynamic where yes. he pushes her in the ways that Brian would not. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's you know, very they're true. like that's bouncier than the other two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They they both kind of they both yeah, affect each yeah. other. Rather than, I mean, I, I think Taylor just like refuses to be affected by anyone of the Undersiders, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, unless if she's unless if she's choosing to be paying attention. But yeah, yeah, huh. it, it, yeah. Clockblocker is one of the few that I think made her mm-hmm. doubt. Um, and um, Grumpy Grumpy Toes also asks um, how we view Tag and the presumed number of people like him in the PRT. Someone who says their goal is to uphold the law, but will show no regard for it when trying to maintain mm-hmm. their position of power. Yes. There seems to be a lot of those in the PRT, you know, that like, yeah, they they're go very too, much, basically. more or less anyway. They're very much of the mentality, um, the ends justify the means sort of thing, which I feel like is very dangerous mm-hmm. for like a whole crew of people that are ruling, you know, and like deciding the fate of, 
you know, the law or whatever, which I don't know. People who, who just kind of think they are yeah. above it, I think, are, are beyond it or whatever. Uh, well, it's interesting because a lot of it's like if you are in the position of power, you kind of get to decide what is the law, yeah. right? When uh, when the state kills someone, it's not murder mm-hmm. usually, right? Yeah, because it's state sanctioned. Uh, present circumstances. Yeah, present circumstances. <laughs> present world circumstances Ex- is a yeah. good example uh, of that. Uh, yeah. All the definition, whenever um, it's like the 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 individual in the position of power, all all the definitions um, that apply to uh, you know the public or the totality of people get real uh, jelloey, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting term. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the the last question we have here is again from Megafire Seven, uh, talking about Brian after seeing his second trigger event, his interlude, and his. Response to the twisted trigger visions inside Echidna. I'm wondering what your perspective on his telling of his first trigger event in Arc 4 is. I went is. back and read it. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that he described the situation is that he did not feel anything. He was like, oh yeah, you know how like there's like this commonality of feeling these things. And I just didn't feel anything at all. Um, I don't know if I believe that. Um, but also at mm-hmm. the same time, I don't know if he would be able to recognize it. You know what I mean? Well, like, mm-hmm. in the moment for him, like, to him, perhaps it seems like that cold and calculated, you know, sort of, I'm going to, you know, beat the shit of my mom's boyfriend who's like, you know, doing all this shit, right? But then um, perhaps he he just isn't, he doesn't process, you know, the intensity of, of what he's feeling, you know, Cause, because later, like, with mm-hmm. the second trigger event and with, with his kind of you know, his PTSD in, in the aftermath, um, he doesn't, he doesn't hold the, like, like the equipment, I guess you could say, or like the, the, like the foundation to, to, you know, process how, like the intensity of his emotional distress in that moment, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like his coping mechanism before yeah. was just to kind of, was what Taylor does where she just kind of tucks it away and doesn't examine it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I do want to suggest that um, do want to suggest that it could be that that Brian is it, especially during that that first time not saying the full truth or maybe saying a different version of events huh. than what really happened. Huh. Interesting. No, that's actually that's very true. That, that and so be. if you think about that, then what would your speculation be? And you could take a second to, to think about it. That he murdered him, that he actually murdered him. I feel like he could actually murder him. But I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Hold on. Let me contemplate. And and again, also thinking about how, like, what was his second trigger event and how that worked and, like, what sort of... I, I think there's there, there's a place somewhere mm. about how second trigger events usually are, like, somewhat similar to the first one, but, like, worse. Oh, interesting. Hmm. I don't know. And perhaps he, like, he was there before, or, like, that he witnessed because like his second trigger event right is is i mean it's his like veins and all that you know everywhere but then also it's mm-hmm. witnessing his friends being like cut open and dug around it yeah so perhaps perhaps it was something that was like that where it wasn't it wasn't quite as calculated but maybe it was like he he walked into the situation instead of seeing the aftermath of it and kind of making assumptions he actually watched walked into the situation and saw what was going on. Hmm. I don't know. I'll let that be the, the end of the, mm. the, the speculations there. Um, 
Okay, uh, that is all we have for y'all this week. It's only four hours of content. Four hours. Well, we're at four hours oh and my 50 god. fucking minutes. We're going to finish at, at five hours. Oh, my God. Um, not that it's that unusual it's for us, right? The, what was it the last time? It was like six hours at least. I feel like least, it was a while. Right? I mean, yeah, we took yeah, like a big true. break in but it. We did, but we did. It was a while. Something like that. Yeah. We're, we're a mess. Uh, but so uh, stick around through our through our outro. Thank you very much. Um, what is happening in Doof Media? That's a great question. Oh, Thank you for you're asking. You're welcome. Uh, so the, the, the two things I want to, to, to plug is um, Kingslingers is, is still going strong. So if you're a Stephen King fan, go check out that podcast. It's fantastic. I have not listened to it because I've never read a Stephen King book. Uh, but they're they're going through the Dark Tower series. I think there are mm. multiple books in. And um, yeah, it's it's absolutely brilliant. Um, I also want to plug uh, MediaMD who uh, this week um, are doing Battlestar Galactica. Um, And in one fortnight is their four-year annual checkup, where they look back on all the stuff they covered throughout the year. So MediaMD, each week, uh, Elliot and and Ruben, uh, every two weeks, uh, recommend Mm. to each other a piece of media, and then they uh, talk about it as well. And... um, yeah, so this is going to be their their four year anniversary wow. in two two weeks, which I think is really really cool. And I think if you haven't checked it out, uh, maybe consider doing it now. Dang, mm-hmm. man, is Fortnite two weeks? Ah, uh, yes, man, yes. Uh, if you like what we do here at Doof Media, consider donating a single dollar per month or whatever else you can afford. It's it's due to the generosity of our patrons that we're able to create shows like this. You know, um, the patron dollars are are what pays like hosting fees and how we're to like we're able to get like you know equipment and all of this and and it also like facilitates some things like the fan art contests and and you know kind of gives us the ability to provide content for the community that um, you can enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash doofmedia and see all the great patron rewards we have. Uh, what do I want to plug this week? I always, I always forget <laughs> to actually plan this out. Um, uh, one that doesn't get recommended very often, at the $45 level, the, the basically the highest one, I believe. I think there might be one more about that. You can make the Doofcast watch a show, watch a whole season of a show, a ton of content that way, or maybe a book that might also be an option. I don't remember. Don't quote me on that uh but if you want to do that you can recommend uh, recommend uh, a series of anime or whatever and uh, say that you want me on there and then i'll be on there and i can talk about an anime that you like that's just a suggestion that you can do wow um, such power but for for every single <laughs> recommendation um you can also just uh recommend um ask whoever you want to be on on there to be on there so uh if it's anime maybe don't recommend scott or matt or really most of the Doofcast oh, so in general. But you can recommend me and Jarvis, for sure. And Michael, I think. Uh, yes. Uh, or anything else. Man. Um, mm. Yes. Also, also um, consider donating to Wildbo's Patreon as well. Um, because, you know, I mean, Wildbo has created this world that we all get to, like, you know, live and experience. I mean, we're not living within it, but, like, you know... You know, we get to we get to read through it and and you know experience this over and over, right? And yeah, and yeah, like this episode on it. He's like he's like the beginning of this watershed moment of like this you know community, and I think you know he relies on this you know to this income to make a living, and you know all of this, and he's still writing and all of this. You know, it's I don't know, it's really cool, and we should support him. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you do not have money for Patreon, we completely understand. But there are plenty of other ways to help us out. You can go tell someone about Worm, 
um, or mm-hmm. tell them about this podcast. And that helps us all immediate, um, immensely. Uh, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes or whatever your podcasting app is. Um, those are really, really great ways to help us. And we really, really do appreciate it. I should check the iTunes reviews. If there have been iTunes reviews and I haven't read you, I will read you next week. I promise. Uh, and I will emphasize yes. how awesome you are. Uh, to reach us, um, you can send us an email at uh, decomposingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can send us a question. You can send us a comment. You can send us whatever you want. You can send us fan art of me and Clarence as well. Also, Clarence, we got to get a picture oh, of you yeah, on we the should. Geek Media website. We haven't done that. I apologize. Also, my, my picture is from my freshman year, and I've tried to change it, and it just oh, refused to let me change the picture. Yeah, it really is. Um <laughs> Uh, or um, another way to reach us is to follow us on on Twitter uh, that, at decompose de, at decomposing pod. Uh, that's where you can get the first um, moment uh, to, of, of announcements and things like that. That's where you would have found out uh, mm. of us missing last week, um, which uh, we apologize. I went out of town, um, and uh, which was not really my choice. That's but how it goes? That's what happens? So. Um, but but uh, I'm 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 glad to be back and able to record. But um, yeah. So anytime something else happens, also like this episode mm-hmm. was also delayed a day in, in addition because of other reasons. So it's a good place to follow and check uh, any any time you want to find out about what's going yeah. on. Um, yes. Do you want to yeah, read yeah, that section because yeah. I talked so much already? All right. So next week is our perspectives episode um, for this for this uh, book four, and so. By the time this episode comes out, it will already have been recorded uh, because we can't read book five until we, you know, record this and and we want to give ourselves ourselves extra time to do that. Um, so we won't be able to take audience questions until the next overview episode. Um, however, we'd love to hear about what you guys thought of this episode. So you can do that at the Reddit thread linked in the description. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all we have for all this week. Uh, for those reading along with us, the next section is ARCs. 23 to through 26 um but next week will be our mm. perspectives episode yes yeah we'll be doing all of our literary theory digging and i have many plans i'm very excited i have many plans for all of these unexplored themes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah do you want to read out oh, uh, you I wrote did. some stuff here and i, I would did. love to have you read them out I uh, exclamation read, points uh, included okay please here here are my thoughts moving forward this is my like after I finished the whole script, I sat down and, like, wrote these out. So I still want to read, you know, mm-hmm. I still want to read Taylor and, like, all of her friendships from, like, a second or third wave feminist lens, you know. And then I'm very excited about clothes, especially, you know, like, I feel like this is a great time to, like, have a chat about clothes and costumes and, like, her school getup that whole day where she's walking around with those, like, like, she's wearing, like, fucking cargo pants and, like, a topless, or, like, a hot <laughs> to- oh, shit, like a... a strapless top strapless top yeah yes materiality you know like as this reflection of like greater changes and alliances all of this i'm very excited about it and oh my god ah i forgot accords accords lackeys and all of their funny little like gala wear in the middle of like the fucking battle and they're sitting on the dogs and it's just (laughs) it's great i want to talk about all of it Okay, that's our episode. Excellent. Wow, we're only two minutes from five fucking hours. <laughs>